0: April the 3rd, 2020 Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast Hope everyone is staying safe And, uh, you know, entertaining themselves at the, the quarantine time is Unfortunately Some of the racetracks that are continuing to run Are getting closed down now I think we only have a few tracks running We still have wrestling though And uh, we're doing a lot of binge watching And we're doing a lot of going back in time or I guess preparing ourselves for the future When these sports do, uh, hopefully... Uh, eventually, start back up. So, on this episode of That's What G Said, we're going to talk some Tiger King. Oh, you know that. We'll give you some uh, some thoughts on WrestleMania, preview WrestleMania coming up this weekend. It is on Saturday night and Sunday night. We're going to go back and recap WrestleMania 7 and old WrestleMania with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocalli. And then we'll give you some horse racing action for Friday. Gulf uh, Gulfstream and Oaklawn and then for Saturday, Gulfstream and Oakland. Kick back and enjoy this episode of That's What G Said podcast. Uh, some some notes in the NFL. Tom Brady just rented Derek Jeter's huge huge mansion in Tampa. Tom Brady, this is an ESPN article. Tom Brady moving to Tampa after signing with the Bucks. He needed a place to stay, and uh, he's got Jeter's. Former home um, Valued According to Zillow at almost 6 million more Than the average house in the neighborhood It's the largest house in Hillsborough County according to the New York Times It's the size of an average best buy store Uh, Much of the original architecture is Mediterranean, the mansion built by uh, Jeter Clash is an English style manor, English manor style Home And so it's different That's what I'm saying It's different than a lot of the architecture of the area Which is more Mediterranean Uh, Brady and his wife have two children There are enough bedrooms for them to have three apiece, Leaving one for mom and dad Uh, Seven bedrooms, nine bathrooms 30,000 square uh, 30,000 plus square feet In this massive, massive crib Uh, According to Zillow The rent estimate would be more than $44,000 a month It has a boat launch Room for 8 cars, a pool, a fireplace And even an elevator Okay Tom Brady, moving on in Right now to Jeter's old shop down in Tampa Okay, so If you're the Baltimore Ravens And you have a pretty well built Pretty well balanced team You can run the hell out of the ball You made some really nice moves on the defensive side of the ball You feel like you're set up with some pieces moving forward Good quarterback, uh, tight end But you kind of even a young wide receiver but you're lacking a little wide receiver do you take a chance on Antonio Brown it's one of the rumors floating around right there Um, does anybody take a chance on Antonio Brown and if you were Baltimore would you be willing to take a chance on someone like Antonio Brown I don't think I would Uh, obviously his skill set would be perfect be a perfect fit there right but I wouldn't want someone when I have a young quarterback who's you know, I like Lamar Jackson, I like him leading the team, and I don't want to bring someone like Antonio Brown in and mess that all up. So I wouldn't do it, even though it's tempting to think of of what he could do for Baltimore. Over in the NBA, there is going to be a an NBA two K tournament that begins on Friday. Kevin Durant leads the field The NBA, the uh, Players Association, and 2K Have partnered to produce an NBA 2K tournament That's going to air on ESPN and ESPN2 starting Friday It will run through April 11th um, Tournament will run On ESPN until 8.30pm And in scheduled transition to ESPN2 Until 11.30pm uh, 16 players will compete the, And they are seated Based on their Rankings in NBA 2K So Kevin Durant is number 1 Trey Young is number 2 Hassan Whiteside number 3 Donovan Mitchell 4 Devin Booker 5 Andre Drummond 6 Zach Salafine 7 Montre uh, Trez Harrell is 8 Sabonis is 9 DeAndre Ayton is 10 DeMarcus Cousins is 11 Michael Porter Jr. 12 Rui Hachimura 13 Pat Beverly 14 Harrison Barnes 15 And Derek Jones Jr. 16 So with no live sports that We can watch uh We can watch these NBA players Playing some video games Playing some NBA 2K What do you think of The Dodgers' Justin Turner's Proposal that Extra inning games Go into a home run derby If they continue to go on So hear hear it out first Instead of playing 17 innings You get one extra inning You play the 10th inning If no one scores Then you go to a home run derby Turner said Wednesday on Spectrum Sportsnet You take each team's three best hitters And you give them all five outs and see who hits The most homers You know, you want to keep the fans in the stands until the end of the game I know when I go to hockey games I enjoy watching Shootouts, it keeps me in my seat Maybe a home run derby will do that as well um, He also said the suggestion would be Just for this season when baseball is looking for ways To get in as many games as possible In a season truncated by the, the Coronavirus pandemic Nobody wants to see a tie, Turner said A quick one round uh, Six man derby, three aside, five outs, 10 swings. Keep it safe for the hitters, and you have your winner. He said uh, everything is on the table when baseball comes back. Multiple doubleheaders are weak, seven inning doubleheaders, extra inning rules, roster expansion. It's all about getting creative there. So, outside the box idea from Justin Turner. So, Tiger King. Hey, everyone out there is talking about Tiger King. Everybody's watching the Tiger King. So we watched the Tiger King <laughs> and uh, if you haven't seen this on Netflix I'm gonna go through you know some spoilers and stuff so if you if you want to you know skip skip around but I'm not generally a fan of you know just like real trashy TV big uh, or reality shows stuff like that this was extremely polarizing it was just like you couldn't help but gonna kind of keep watching and see what was gonna happen next. It, it so it's it's basically inside the lives of zookeepers, uh, big cat animal breeders, and animal rights activists. Okay, but it's just not what it sounds like, and I'm gonna describe a little bit of it, and then I'm gonna to react to um, some of the ring, the ringers. Uh, they had a funny uh, reaction article for some of their writers. It's about Joe Exotic who is... He doesn't seem real. He seems like some made-up TV character. Um, He was quoted by uh, another person in the documentary series as a completely insane guy, uh, uh, completely insane, quote-unquote, completely insane gay gun-toting drug addict fanatic. (laughs) Uh, This was a documentary that was initially supposed to be about snakes and by accident when they were doing this they found a guy with a snow leopard it led them to this entire world and, and to Joe Exotic who lives with 187 big cats at the GW Exotic Animal Park he this guy just he's, he loves to entertain people he wants to be a star he is a country singer we find out he films everything all day there's always a camera running and everything that he does when he's operating at the park because he has a TV show that he would run on the internet every night and we start to hear from a TV producer Rick Kirkham who was hired to kind of help make this look real because he was a former TV producer so he helped you know make Joe's show more legit look, look like an actual TV show Joe was in a war with a woman named Carol Baskin. She's the CEO of Big Cat Rescue. She's an animal rights activist, which is funny because she actually used to be a a breeder, and now she's an activist. Carol hates Joe. Joe hates Carol. She's got this kind of weird hippie vibe, but she is ruthless, so it's... She kind of comes off phony, and... um, she obviously thinks she's fixing the problem and she thinks Joe is the problem. She's got cat stuff everywhere, cat print, and she runs this big cat rescue. We get back to Joe, who, you know, at his at his place, we, we get a look at him in his uh, gift shop. He's got everything imaginable that he sells there. Some weird, you know, sex creams and he's got his CDs that he, his albums, um, including, uh, I Saw a Tiger and Starstruck. 28 songs, 16 music videos. We then hear from Joe's ex-husband, one of Joe's workers. There's a point in this where there's a weird three-person wedding, including Joe and two other men, all in their uh, pink tuxes. We find out that Joe's family didn't approve of him being gay. Um, He actually attempted to kill himself. He suffered injuries, he went to rehab in Florida And that's where he kind of, for the first time Interacted with exotic animals And then he fell in love with exotic animals And he realized that that's what he wanted to do for a living Another one of the major characters in this is uh, Doc Antle Bogvon He is a major player in the exotic animal world He's the director of Myrtle Beach Safari uh, South Carolina, 50 Acres And he is, you know, Joe is way more of like a like a low-rent zoo operation, everything, Doc Antle is super upscale. Huge, um, hugely professional. Even when they're, the, the people that are doing this project that are filming it, they come in and, like, Doc's kind of giving them angles and telling them to come do it from here. You could just tell this guy's like, he does, he's very, he runs his, his, his business and his organization very well, very, uh, you know. High end and Joe learned a lot from Doc Antle. Doc was talking about how it pays him. he has to uh, it costs him ten thousand per year to feed each tiger. Joe pays him th- Joe costs about three thousand. He gets food from feedlots and other animals in the area that get killed. Uh, Doc Antle is the the person who provides the animals for a lot of movies. He's had movies in Ace Ventura, Dr. Dolittle Jungle Book, and over 500 movies. Joe's more of he's putting on shows, going to small malls, um, pictures with the aunt, the the, aunt, the kids with the at the malls and stuff like that. And then Carol Baskin finds out, and you know these two, Joe and Doc, you know, she's against the two of them. But in particular, she kind of has it out for Joe, and, and Joe and her don't like each other. And so Carol is trying. Carol gets Joe shut down at the malls. She has all these people that um, are volunteers that volunteer with her. Trying to make sure Joe can't continue to go and bring the animals all around. I mean, this guy's crazy. He's he's like standing. He's out on his like, uh, um, on his bike just in front of a big tornado that's about to come, and he's just insane. He really is. Um, he is a character though. He's a, he's a, a very good TV character for some for something like this. Joe, you know, we see him all over the news. He's on TV shows bringing his animals. Same thing with Doc Antle. These are the people that you've seen on like Leno and Letterman. We could see Shaq at the beginning of the uh the documentary and Shaq could, gives them a shout out on TNT. Shaq since recently come out and said, you know, he didn't really know all this stuff about uh these people and Joe, you know, we've, we we this thing kind of tweaks and turns a little bit, you know. You you think it's about the the animal, the big cats and things like that, and then all of a sudden we find out soon it's about like mur- like murder and attempted murder, and um, you know we find out Carol's husband got killed, and there's all these weird signs that obviously that point to her being heavily involved. Everybody, a lot of people think she's involved. Joe writes a song about her feeding her tiger, her husband to a tiger. Joe. Threatens Carol through his videos and his show. He threatens the police in the local area. And Peta, you know, constantly carrying guns around, telling them if they come and try to take his uh, animals from them, it's going to be uh, a Waco So, this becomes about the battle between Carol and Joe, with kind of Doc Antle in the mix, not quite as much with the other two. It's weird. And, and Carol, you know, I, I don't like Carol. Don't get me wrong. Joe, Joe, Joe's insane also. Uh, this is just a situation where nobody feels like the good guy. The good guy, good gal. Like Nobody feels like the good person in here. Um, one of Joe's employees loses her arm in an accident. Tiger bites it off. And she chooses to have the arm amputated instead of a couple years of surgeries and rehab. And she's just like an unbelievably loyal worker to Joe to the animals. She doesn't want to stay in the hospital and draw more attention, and uh, you know, get the act of activists, activist rights, uh, animals, the the animal right right activist against her and draw more attention with the media. So she's like back working in a few days, and she is one of the like when you hear everyone and see everyone in this, she she comes off like the mo- one of the more normal people in it. Um this is something you have to watch. So, the the ringer does the Tiger King exit survey that I thought was pretty funny. There were some funny parts in here to read through, so that um, you know Netflix' latest true crime offering doesn't center on just a murder for hire plot, which is where this thing gets to in the end. We find out that this rivalry has caused Joe to actually. Hire someone to kill Carol. It looks like Carol killed her husband. It looks like Carol's willing to do anything. And it looks like Joe is willing to do anything. And Joe is in jail now for 22 years. So, some of the things that stuck, stood out to the, uh, the the folks from The Ringer... Is um, <laughs> indescribable. Nothing I could tell you... Could lessen the shocks. Um... Ever wonder what Tiger's true crime, bold fashion choices, country music, a crazy cat lady, a gay throuple, and the feds look like together on screen? Then <laughs> stop what you're doing and watch the Tiger King. That was uh, Jordan Legans, uh, Jason Conceptions at the first one, Meg Schuster, uh, Prince Albert Padlocks. Yeah, Joe talks about how he has a uh, penis piercing, obviously, that he doesn't wear underwear. Um, Doc Antle, the very upscale Exotic cat breeder He Has Basically a cult of young women That are sort of like his sex slaves Which is really interesting that In this you know world Of the big cats and exotic animals Everybody just has multiple Partners and it just seems to be like normal Um The What was the best moment of the series Some said the triple wedding the horribly really awkward wedding with joe exotic that wedding pops up a lot um saf getting her arm bitten off which we mentioned uh, how about joe has a music video for the song here kitty kitty which is about the woman feeding her husband's carcass to tigers i mean this is real stuff it's crazy just crazy um they rank some of their biggest twists by surprise factor. Joe's country music career. Carol started out as a big cat reader. Uh, situation between Doc Antle and his girlfriends. Travis's accidental death by suicide. That's another crazy one that pops up a lot. Uh, Carol's husband's disappearance. Um, Carol at one point talks about what what kind of a scent you could put on something to draw big cat's attention, and then we see Joe's you know getting nearly mauled this thing just it takes you on a ride and I could keep go. I could go on for an hour about this and it still wouldn't be able to truly explain it to you without watching so give this a watch let me know if you like it or don't it's one of those things where it's not good you just keep watching it because it's so crazy it's just batshit it really is So, Tiger King on Netflix Give it a look We'll see what the next craze to sweep the nation is That I'll have to uh, end up watching and recording So I could uh, share the thoughts with you For the first time ever Coming up this weekend WrestleMania will be held Over two nights And it will be held without any fans And it's going to be WrestleMania 36 coming up Makes you feel old, huh? You're a wrestling fan? We're up to 36 on the Mania's so 16 matches currently carded. I'm recording this before Friday Night SmackDown, um, so who knows if there are gonna be any changes? We do know of a couple changes that have already happened, and I'll, and I'll mention those. So um, I guess I'll ment- I'll say spoiler alert if you want, but it's not really a spoiler. We just I, it looks like we know who's gonna be the the fill in for uh, Roman Reigns in the in the Universal Title match. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay, let's start. I guess sort of from the bottom, with uh, we don't know how they'll they'll spread this out. It's gonna be over two nights. Is it gonna be like raw on on uh, one night and SmackDown matches on the other night? Is it gonna be more of evenly spread out? You know, with um, you know, comparable matches on on the separate cards all the way through? Is it gonna be more of like an A card and a B card? Who knows? Lots of different ways they can go with this. Otis versus Dolph Ziggler with Mandy Rose. Uh, Otis and Mandy had the uh, the flirtation for a while, and then Mandy showed some interest in Dolph, and you know Otis has kind of looked like the loser in this. But I really liked when Otis snapped the other night for the first time, and Otis should get the win here. He really should like for the as far as the storytelling is going, he's not gonna get the girl. He should get the win here, and maybe Mandy kind of wants to give Otis a look, and then he doesn't. You know, he's not interested. I don't know who who knows. There's many ways they can go with this, but I, I would much prefer seeing Otis get the win here. It would be crazy if, you know, Dolph Ziggler. I, I believe this is his first ever one on one match at WrestleMania, and he he's just in a, in a strange spot right now. This isn't going to be a, you know, probably a huge match, but they've they've definitely done a little bit with Otis for uh, a while. They've been building this angle for a bit. The Kabuki Warriors, Oscar and Kyrie Sane versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Alexa Bliss got the win over Oscar recently, and uh, Kyrie Sane's been a little bit banged up um, over the last couple months. They, you know, this could be a good match if they let this go for uh, a while and they give it time. Um, all these girls can work pretty well, and um, I think there might be a title change here. wouldn't Wouldn't shock me. Asuka and Kyrie are a, a, a bit cold here, but th- this could be a good match. Kind of, kind of sneaky. Good. Elias versus King Corbin. Um, not you know expecting a whole lot out of this, and I wouldn't be shocked if we end up seeing that this is kind of like. Maybe a little bit more of an angle than an actual match. We rarely see Elias go in a long match. We rarely see Elias even have angles um, anymore nowadays. He's definitely been cooled off on uh, as of late. So I'm not expecting a whole lot out of this one. Hopefully we can get Elias to just break a, a guitar over King Corbin and maybe get a WrestleMania moment with a uh, uh, a quick win here. I'm going to get the Street Profits. Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford versus Austin Theory and Angel Garza. Austin Theory is going to be coming up. He's going to be making his uh, WrestleMania debut, and he's he just recently debuted as a fill-in for Andrade, who is injured. I don't think this is a really good spot for Theory and Garza to win the tag titles. The Street Profits have actually been pretty entertaining um, when they're not having to do some of those forced backstage segments. Um, they're good. They're just naturally good on their own. I like them. I think it's, you know, keep it keep it with the street profits there. Let's go to... Let's see here. Um, Aleister Black, Bobby Lashley. This one kind of came out of nowhere. There hasn't really been a whole lot of build to this. Aleister Black should get a, a win here c- to continue to build his trajectory. Um, weird that after that whole big feud with Lana and Rusev and Liv Morgan was in the mix that we haven't really seen much from uh, Lashley, Lana, um, Rusev really at all. Tag team, SmackDown tag team titles, uh, Miz and Morrison versus The New Day versus The Usos in a triple threat here. This one could be really good if they just get a lot of time. Um, All three of these teams can go in the ring. Miz and Morrison have been really good since being uh, reunited. They had a goofy music video on social media. Uh, Go and search for that. I, you know, and anything could could happen in here. There was actually rumors that The Miz was sick, I, not a coronavirus sick, just was sick when, when some of this was going on or I guess before they were getting ready to film some of these matches because these matches are—WrestleMania the, has already been filmed now. I believe the Performance Center is shut down and a lot of these matches were filmed within the last week. So this isn't going to be live, nothing's going to be happening live All this stuff's going to be in the can So what what makes it a little more interesting is They should have plenty of time to perfect this If they need If anything was botched, if anything was messed up If they want to edit anything out, if they want to add, subtract Plenty of time to do that They can set this up very well And in a different way than they can with a, a live show Where things run over You don't have the opportunity to always to just cut something When it's in the middle like that where are we off to next? Sammy Zayn versus Daniel Bryan. I mean, talk about a match that could really steal a show. These two, this is like a dream match for a while. Uh, hopefully, they get a chance to really work. This could be just an excellent, excellent match. I'm looking really forward to this match, which means that it'll be like a two-minute squash one way or the other or some kind of weird, stupid interference, and then get it. I just, I would love for them to get at least 15 minutes and get an opportunity to go back and forth here with uh, Sami Zayn, with Cesaro and, and Nakamura in the corner, and then Daniel Bryan with Drew Gulak. He's had some, uh, Dana Bryant's been in, he, I think this is something that he's probably liked as of late. Getting to work with a lot of these, you know, Cesaro, Nakamura, Gulag, Sammy. He's been in the main event picture before. I think he probably has more fun doing doing uh, something like this. Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins. The last week, both of these guys cut really good promos. They did. Uh, it was Rollins, you know, earlier, I think it was like a week, Rollins first and then Owens came back with an excellent promo. Go look up their their recent ones. They really build this this match very well, and I'm. This is another one where you know you look at Owens Rollins, you look at uh, Sammy, Debray. D- those two matches should be really really good in ring. Wouldn't be shocked if the women's tag, you know, Kabuki Warriors Alexa Bliss, could be really good in ring like Rhea Ripley Charlotte Flair for the NXT title. Charlotte should win this match. She should. She should win this match. She should get the NXT title and Ripley should have to kind of challenge back for it and chase her a little bit and you know we can Charlotte can drop it for whatever reason, maybe not even lose it, but she should win this. It'll give NXT a little bit of a boost, I think. Sounds weird, the main wrestler winning giving NXT a little bit of a boost, but I think it will. I don't know if Rhea should quite go completely over Charlotte here yet. Bailey versus Lacey Evans versus Naomi versus Sasha Banks versus Tamina. Badal five way elimination match. When it's elimination, you think that it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to come down to Bailey Sasha, or we're going to see Sasha eliminate Bailey early on. And so that, I'm assuming one of those things. It would be best if it came down to Bailey Sasha in the end. Give them a you know a good five to ten minutes uh, when it's just the two of them going at it, and and they could give us a they could give us a good uh, a good little worked finish. Let's see where else are we going? Uh, John Cena versus the Fiend. I don't really like this. We've already seen John Cena Bray Wyatt before. I, I don't like the fact that they had the Fiend just lose like that to, to Goldberg. I think it it hurt a lot of his momentum. Um, I'm not expecting a whole lot of this match so hopefully it can it can pleasantly surprise me. Uh, I do think anytime Cena's around it's a big deal but you know he's he's great with the crowd to feed off of and this match I don't know in a, in it's going to be a fire Floodhouse house match. So maybe just being something different and like with the opportunity to have plenty of time to work on this it won't just be these two in in a ring. So it'll be a little bit different at least in the than the version of this that we've seen before. Where else are we going? Um, Edge, Randy Orton. I've loved everything about this. I think they're both just cutting great promos to set up for this. Randy's doing some of his best work in years, and I'm not really a Randy Orton fan. I think I can, you can tell a lot of times when he's kind of checked out and he's half-assing it. This has not been the case in this feud. It It's good. It's good work. I think they'll have a good match, and... Edge is one of the best promos right now. He's just... He's cutting better promos than he ever has before. This could be really fun. I like what they've done with this so far. It's intense. And they've gotten personal with it. Lots to like about this. It could be a a very heated match. And it could be really good. So you see... I'm not, you know, and I'm. I haven't been like really. It's hard to be really high on everything that's been happening. But with the with the roster as talented as they are, all of these matches or most of them have a a high ceiling. They have the opportunity to be really good, especially when they're going to be pre recorded with the uh, the chance to be edited and cut down and and any mistakes cut out. So. Were to the Undertaker versus AJ Styles. Yes, that same Undertaker, who uh, we're going to talk about in WrestleMania Seven, making his debut back in 1991. He's still going against AJ Styles. I like the ang- like the the angle and the approach they've they've taken with this feud, where AJ has gotten a little bit personal, talking about the pictures that Undertaker's wife. Uh, posts on social media and you know their undertaker came back and just cut the best undertaker promo he's ever cut It was very per- personal at AJ and they're both using their real names and I just I AJ could get a good match out of him and the this match and the Goldberg ma- match these matches are the ones that could really benefit with some editing right uh, they can cut a sloppy spot or two out if they have to reshoot anything that they had to. It should be AJ, right? Becky Lynch versus Shayna. This would be a good time for Shayna to win. For Becky to lose and have to, to kind of chase again. She's gotten a little bit stale, a little bit stagnant. Um, I haven't really been too much of a fan, honestly, of the whole like badass Becky character. I kinda liked her a lot more as the goofy character, and her matches have been, you know, in the last year not as great or not as as good as I've hoped or expected is probably because I expect a lot out of her. We'll, we'll see here this could be a good match. Shane a good a very good heel doesn't good heel work. I think this should be a chance for Shayna to get a win and you know Becky can chase and the top two matches Goldberg versus Roman reigns we've heard that Roman reigns will not be wrestling. Roman Reigns is recovering from... Uh, he has had leukemia. He's, he's fine now. He's been you no know, wrestling. He's just uh, had it previously. And with the, uh, the virus going around, uh, anyone that has had, had bad health is um, a little more prone to it. So he chose not to wrestle, which was definitely going to change some plans around. And the rumor is that filling in for Roman Reigns will be Braun Strowman in this match. We'll find out for sure on On Friday, and I, I just on SmackDown, I really think that if it is Strowman, they should be beating Goldberg. Goldberg shouldn't be winning and, and continuing on a reign right now. He can only really wrestle in spots. He can't go very long. I just don't think it's right for him to be the champ. You can you can put this belt the belt on Braun or whoever's in this match for a short time, and then Roman can beat them whenever Roman is ready to come back or whenever um, you know you have your next big event. And then we have Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre. And I feel bummed that there's no crowd for Drew McIntyre because they were doing a good job really building him up. And he deserves to win this match right now. He's gotten kind of an organic build too after winning the Royal Rumble to where it seems like he's, he's not been forced down your throat. And the crowd has responded very well to him. And Drew is had a had a really nice kind of redemption story after leaving WWE years back after being the chosen one, and now getting an opportunity to be in the quote unquote main event of WrestleMania. This is going to be a real different WrestleMania. So running down it real quick, I, I hope Otis should win this match against Dolph. Let's. Um, I think it's going to be Alexa and Nikki that get the win um, in the Sammy Daniel Bryan match. Like Daniel doesn't need the win, but I. Debray should get the, uh, the, the that win there too um, Edge should beat Orton, unless they want to keep that feud going but it, it, Edge should get the win here after everything that's gone on Elias, King Corbin let's go Elias, Aleister Black should beat Bobby Lashley, Street Profit should hold on to it uh, let's say Miz and Morrison hold on to it, KO should get the win over Rollins after Rollins has mentioned that KO has had no Mania success, you gotta give KO the the win here Um, AJ's got to get over Taker. That's who I'm picking. Um, I think Sasha gets the win in the women's title match. Cena versus Wyatt. Let's go Fiend. It's got to be the Fiend there. Becky Lynch versus Shayna. I I think Shayna's got a shot to to win the and and take the title from Becky. Goldberg versus whoever. Even if let's say Braun, Uh, I'm going with opponent of Goldberg. I'm going with Braun. Give it to Braun. Let him run with it for a bit before you get back to Roman. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair Let's go Charlotte Charlotte should win this Get the NXT title to add to uh, her title lineage And then Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre Will they give it to Drew without the fans? The problem is You don't know when you're going to have a show with fans It's not like, oh, two weeks from now it's going to happen Or a month from We just don't know So you can't continue to string these storylines out and out and out You have to have a definitive ending to some of them And this might be one of them Let's give Drew McIntyre the big win. Those are my predictions and thoughts for Mania. We'll be watching and uh, tweeting along. Make sure to follow us on uh, on Twitter. It's me, Gino B, as we go through Mania and we have some fun. We'll be having a few drinks and watching and kicking back and enjoying the shows on Saturday and Sunday. Back by popular demand to recap another WrestleMania. We're going to go back in time again and... and uh... We'll recap WrestleMania 7 this time We're going to talk about Hulk Hogan Versus Sergeant Slaughter Ultimate Warrior Versus the Macho Man Randy Savage We have a blindfold match with Jake the Snake Versus Rick the Model Martel. Lots to talk about on this uh, WrestleMania recap We bring in Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne Guys, thanks for coming back again We had a lot of fun talking about WrestleMania 3 I, I gotta say though, when I put the poll up To vote It was WrestleMania six, seven, eight, or nine, and I'm a little bit surprised that this is the one out of those four that won. I probably would have ranked it in my head if I was just assuming how the voting would have been. I probably thought this would have been the third of four.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought six was a shoe in because me too. It, yeah, yeah. Hogan Warrior. I and... tried
0: to rig the ballot box. I really I did, know. you
1: know. <laughs> I mean, I really thought – and then I thought it was a toss-up between 7 and 8, you know, where it would would come down. But, yeah, I I really thought Hogan Warrior and the Sky Dome and and what was also just generally a good show.
0: Yeah, a fun kind of big film show, you know. Yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was surprised. But, you know, going back and and rewatching 7 the way I did and, uh, you know, jotting down some fun notes from some things that I have in the back of my head on some of these guys. And, you know, I really forgot as we get into it, like, you know, some of these matches that – yeah, you know, kind of like uh, just waft over you. Like a couple of them were really good, and, and they are—they're sneaky yeah. good. Yeah, they are. And I almost forgot, like how good a couple of the matches really were. So it was—it was good from that standpoint that I got to go back and watch. And there's a lot of interesting storylines and a lot of backstory that we're going to get into in in terms of what went on with the lead up to WrestleMania Seven and some strange things—strange things that happened—and then some of the angles in WrestleMania Seven that really pushed the envelope really, really hard. And uh, it really does make, when you tie all that together, uh, for a fascinating
2: show. I would just like to thank the people that voted in this poll for not voting WrestleMania 9. You all have so (laughs) much more mercy than I thought you did, and I am so grateful for you, because WrestleMania 9, with a couple of very small, brief exceptions, is a show that should never be watched, By anyone of sound mind at all for any reason. So, to everybody out there, thank you for sparing us that anguish. I can't speak for Gino or Darren, but I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: it's good because I've got a couple of people without sound minds That are going to recap Wrestlemania 9 with me next week Already it's going to be Jason Beam and Danny K Danny Kovaloff. They're going to come on early in the week And we're going to go back in time and recap 9 Mainly because Jason Beam was like ecstatic in wanting to talk about it And Danny Kovalev was at that Wrestlemania live So he's going to have Kovalev's Danny, Danny Kovalev's at, at that Wrestlemania, WrestleMania.
2: That's my yeah. thing yeah, His so Dan- ninety-three thousand one hundred seventy-three cats might have like been conquering another <laughs> planet at that point. But you're <laughs> right, of sound mind. Uh, I-, I can't speak for for Jason. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. Gone back for them a couple of times, but uh, my goodness, you and Danny, who oh boy, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be a must listen though for sure. I'm looking forward to that
0: one. So, so we'll have to see how things play out um, Again next week, but um, ideally We'll, we'll as long as You know, there's not a whole lot of sports going We'll keep going maybe for another couple of weeks with some of these WrestleMania shows, if you guys want to come back And then maybe as the calendar starts to change A little bit, maybe we can start to do the same thing Later in the year with uh, with some Summer Slams As we get closer there, or maybe a King of the Ring Who knows, uh, some of these good shows to, to Go back and watch, but hopefully maybe next week we can throw in some of the like the little bit later medias maybe we can get into like either 10 or 13 or uh, or some of those as they kind of uh, start to creep into the attitude era but like i said some of the the more recent medias they're fun they're fun to watch live but man just just having to go back and and like rewatch one of them would absolutely be a chore at like 6 or 7 hours <laughs>
1: yeah no it really it really is and and you know <laughs> When you go through, I mean, last year's Mania was a lot of fun because, I mean, I got to go and we had the tailgate with the Mania Club beforehand. But it's funny because, like, my friends and I and my wife, we were saying, like, the best part of the day for us was the tailgate at the Mania Club. Yeah, before yeah. everything
0: even starts. Yeah. yeah,
1: we were all dressed up, you know. I mean, I went as, obviously, everybody knows as Roman Reigns. And one of my friends, uh, you know, went as Nikolai Volkov. Another guy went as the Iron Sheik who looked, you know, phenomenal. I mean, it was so much fun. Then you get there and you're into it, you know, and you gotta go through the pre-show and the battle royals. And now it's like three hours into the main show, and you're like, holy crap, man, it's only 9 like, 30. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, we're not gonna see Becky Lynch for three hours. You know? <laughs> <And> <laughs>
2: that's you know, the that, benefit of being out here on the West Coast, man. It was only 9 p.m. when Joan Jett played Bad Reputation to bring <laughs> Ronda Rousey into <laughs> the ring. Yeah,
1: no. yeah, And by the way, it got cold last year like it was it was a beautiful day it was like in the upper 60s but by the time that match went on it was probably like 48 49 degrees and I remember I looked at my wife and I said Amanda I don't care what fireworks are blasting off I don't care if the ultimate warrior comes back from the dead to raise (laughs) this woman's arm in the middle of the ring the minute the referee hits three we're out I was in the car when her music was still playing and I walked in my front door in about 25 minutes
0: Oh that's great, that's great So let's get a, like a quick hit So Wrestlemania, we're recording this like late Thursday night It'll be out early Friday And Wrestlemania this year Gonna be a very different Wrestlemania It's gonna be two nights on Saturday and Sunday um, It looks like it'll be pretty evenly split I think there are 16 matches carded I'm from, from what I understand, almost all of it, if not all of it, has already been pre-recorded I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of live, maybe something with Gronk I don't even know, because I think the Performance Center as of now has been shut down for a little while So Darren, well, give, give me a, a thought or two, and then Andrew, whether it be a match, a storyline, kind of an overall big picture thing what are, what are you thinking heading into WrestleMania this year?
1: I, I mean, look, I, I don't know what to think to be honest with you. I don't know if the circumstances change the outcome of any matches. Uh, You know, it certainly could, you know, do they not want to have Drew McIntyre go over with nobody there? Do they want to save that maybe for SummerSlam where there might be people in the arena and and he gets the pop that they want him to get, you know, maybe. Uh, So from that standpoint and and the storylines and where they're going to go with things, I don't really know what to think. Now, that being said, there are matches that I'm certainly excited for. Um, the Rhea Ripley-Charlotte Flair match I think will just be a tremendous in-ring match. Uh, I'm curious to see what they do with Lesnar and McIntyre. Um, I'm, I i don't know at this point. I have avoided all spoilers. So as of this moment, I don't know who's replacing Roman Reigns. Uh, you guys might. I don't know. Uh, and I've specifically avoided the clickbait to do that.
0: Yeah, I don't really um, like the spoilers either. Um, yeah. And and yeah. and we don't and I I've seen who I think who people have projected, but I haven't seen anything that says definitively. I, could get, I yeah. could get you know, there's but a, I'm, there's only I'm, a few people on a short yeah. list that aren't involved in something that would be able to kind of be shoehorned into yeah. that spot against Goldberg that make a lot of sense. So and and maybe if If they want to get the belt off of Goldberg, who knows? I don't. I don't know if they had Goldberg planned for a really long run here. This just felt like it was like a little small run to give uh, to give Roman Reigns another win over a big legend and to kind of help build him.
1: And not and not get booed out of the arena if he. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, But you know, speaking of the fiend, I'm curious
1: to see what they do there with that Firefly Funhouse match. I still don't know what a boneyard match is. The most curious thing I'm interested in with the uh, Taker Styles match is what character we get. From the Undertaker, I think they've kind of played up the whole American badass thing again. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Uh, the two matches that I'm most looking forward to, in terms of like actual in ring, uh, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, yep. I think, would be fantastic. And obviously, I cannot wait to watch Edge in a one on one match again. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. But in terms of what to expect, you know, I, I could guess these matches, and I could be completely wrong just because of the, you know, the unknown of it. The being different a- dynamic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 What do you think, Andrew?
2: Well, I maintain that the best thing they can do with replacing Roman Reigns is give Hulk Hogan a call and have him cut a promo <laughs> along the lines of, well, let me tell you something about the coronavirus, brother. I, I maintain that that is the best possible way they could do that. But uh, kidding aside, I'm actually going to lead into WrestleMania 7 because I think there are a lot of parallels between what hap- what's happening now and what happened with WrestleMania 7. You hinted at this right off the rip. WrestleMania 7 had a lot of things going on behind the scenes that were sort of unprecedented. At the time, the United States was fighting Iraq in the Gulf War. It was a situation where there were a lot of security concerns around big events. There are stories about the Super Bowl with the flyover. There were stories about this, WrestleMania 7. The story WWE tells is that they moved WrestleMania 7 from the L.A. Coliseum to the L.A. Sports Arena. This was allegedly due to security concerns, per the WWE. Now, how much you believe of that is up for speculation, because there were also reports tickets were not moving as far as the L.A. Coliseum was concerned. If you've never been to the Coliseum, it's obviously a giant building. The L.A. Sports Arena, a much smaller venue, still sizable, and it still looked okay on camera but certainly far smaller than the L.A. Coliseum. So a lot of weird things went on with WrestleMania 7. A lot of weird things happening now. And the more I think about it, the more I think that might be the reason we're talking about this now. You're because right. a lot of longtime wrestling fans maybe are channeling a little bit of what went on in WrestleMania 7. with good point. With what's going on now?
0: Yeah, that's a good point, point. and it it's just going to be different. And what's amazing is that as we get into uh, to recap the show, WrestleMania Seven, which as Andrew mentioned was in Los Angeles, California, here on Hey March the twenty fourth, my uh, four year old birthday there, uh, and I and I can pro- I can guarantee you, I was sitting right here watching it live. I still remember it because I had the ba- the pay per view, I had the black box, so I got every pay per view of WWE ever. Like leading up to whenever the Black Boxes went away For free, I just flipped the little switch in the back I got everything, sometimes I got the naughty channels too If I wanted, but I got everything there And and WWE, pay-per-views Boxing events, WCW You name it, all the big shows This was one of them (laughs) What's crazy is that this was the debut Of The Undertaker and, And we're at Wrestlemania 36 And he is still going strong He will be having a match against AJ Styles this weekend So I don't think from like a from a scope, from a scale Compared to the Wrestlemania that we just talked about Last week, Wrestlemania 3 This one wasn't wasn't the same It was different, the fans are still Pretty damn crazy for a lot of the baby faces In here, a lot of really really big pops and And There are some definite moments From this show, maybe there aren't All a ton of, you know Five star classic matches, but there are there are at least three or four what we would consider like WrestleMania moments as we dive in to this one. Andrew, you set it up really well as they were supposed to be at the uh, the Coliseum, and you when you watch you know the shows right before this like Royal Rumble '91 or I think even Survivor Series '90. Um, you see the you know the promos and the then the the previews for the WrestleMania at the Coliseum, and that was not the case. In here, we get the uh, the Vince start. This is a as kind of Andrew mentioned too. The tone of this being in the Gulf War, super patriotic show. Lots of red, white, and blue. Lots of USA chants through the crowd. We actually kick off the show. I think that's the reason why they kick off the show with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. In the commentary booth There were I think two different times throughout the show When Bobby the Brain Heenan had um, matches Where he had to go to manage at ringside And then he stepped out for a few minutes So we start out with Gorilla And um, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan on, uh, on commentary And Willie Nelson singing America the Beautiful He's gotta be high as he's singing this Here you would just imagine And uh, <laughs> I'm just watching him Thinking man this guy is just stoned out of his mind For sure um, And like every single year Gorilla says it's going to be the best Wrestlemania ever and then we get Set for our first match The one thing I thought was really funny That uh, Hacksaw said and I I Wrote that I took a note he said he thinks The warrior is going to beat Macho man because the warrior is better Trained and better yeah. conditioned which yeah. was Like it, you could tell me A bunch of things about the warrior you know it, Like stronger he's Overpowering but like Randy Savage Was probably the best shape In shape and the best conditioned wrestler of this Era and if,
1: oh, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry you
0: know, if you're not talking Rick Flair It's either it's got to be Randy Savage right
1: Yeah no it, it is And the, I noticed that too Another thing that I noticed is when he said that There's a look on Gorilla's face with this (laughs) this laughing smile. And and I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to say, okay, that reaction is one of two things. Either he's laughing because he's saying that Ultimate Warrior is the better conditioned wrestler, or he's happy that he actually put together a coherent sentence in analyzing a match (laughs) as the color commentator. I don't know which it is. It could have been both.
2: You know, piggybacking off of that, I actually thought that once the match started, the opening match between the Rockers and Haku and the Barbarian, I thought Hacksaw Jim Duggan was shockingly good on commentary.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. not bad. He really isn't. He you know, I, I've I liked H- uh, Haxa a lot more later when I saw him in the the show that was on the WWE network, right when the WWE network started, when they were all I, what was it called? When they were the Legends House. House. When, he was pretty he came off pretty well on that. Him and Piper had like a fun, like kind of cute relationship, you know, that they became really buddy buddy. And I thought I thought he came off pretty well on that show. It was actually not bad programming, like right when the WWE network started. Um so yeah, we get into a, a match and you know what? What I what I noticed with this show, and in particular with a lot of these early manias, they do a really good job of getting a like the right match to open the show. This was yeah. a good one. We got a promo uh, from the Rockers before. It was really funny to see such a basic promo from you know Shawn Michaels, who would become this you know such a mainstay in WrestleMania from years for years to come. Funny when you look at like Shawn Michaels here and, and Undertaker here to think that they would one day have one of the best you know, if not maybe the best WrestleMania match ever. um this was good. This was a good, a good opener. A uh, huge pop for the Rockers. I mean, they are like crazy over here. Um, you know, back and forth, back and forth. A good finish with a like a missile drop kick, cross body, real quick. A lot of action. Um, they did a good job working. And you know what, Haku and the Barbarian were were also really good in here in, in this spot. Barbarian to me was just like a much better tag wrestler when he had someone to kind of work off here. This was a good opener.
1: Yeah. Damn good match. Uh, Meltzer, I looked it up. Meltzer only gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was a four-star match.
0: I thought so too, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know,
1: it, it, it's it's what you would expect. You know, you, the Rockers are doing their high-flying crazy stuff. A lot of the double moves, the double drop kicks, the double moves off the top rope, uh, and you're getting the typical power uh, that you would see from, from Haku and Barbarian. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about this match, this is six months after the Rockers won but didn't really win the Tag Team Championships from the Hart Foundation Yep. Uh, when they had that that match on what would have been Saturday Night Main Event that was taped to go on the show.
0: And the ring but broke, the rope broke. broke
1: the rope broke, two out of three falls. And you could actually see it on YouTube where the Rockers win and there's a pop and they get handed the belts and they actually defended those, those titles a few nights later against Power and Glory. And then WWE McMahon said, no, we're going to change this up. Uh, we're going to uh, take the belts off them and give them back to the heart Foundation. There was a lot of talk that the hearts were, you know, splitting up at that time. I think Anvil was, might have been possibly getting fired. I think he had a back injury. So the Heart Foundation was getting towards the end of their run. But it's really interesting that that happened, and they never put the belts back yeah. on But, um, I mean, this was a great match. I thought Jannetty stole the match. I, I was I great. Thought, yeah, taking great bumps. I mean, selling the crap out of everything. Uh, employing that big stick-and-move approach, flying all over the place. The two He gets two backbreakers at one point that he just sells, and you get like those ahs and gasps from the crowd. Um, there was a big high-cross body he tried in the Barbarian who rolled into a power slam. Uh, then you get the big hot tag to Sean near the end. The place goes crazy. You get double drop kicks off the top, the double moves off the top. Huge pop when they get the one, two, three. Uh, just a, a really good match for what is actually going to be the last, seven or eight months of the rockers uh, a team that you know began i think in 1984 and this is pretty much the last year of their run because obviously they would have that tremendous split up uh, at the barbershop the following winter
2: the spot that i like the most in this match comes really early uh sean and marty double team uh haku with a double elbow drop they do the double kip up And then the Barbarian just steamrolls them both with a double close (laughs) line. And that's such a great spot. And it's a good match. It's a really solid opener. And a lot of what the Rockers are doing holds up over time. It does. This is stuff the Young Bucks are doing in every single match. It's stuff they've been doing in every single match for about 10 years, if we're being honest. Haku and the Barbarian were by no means master in-ring technicians, but they were a really fun powerhouse tag team, both here and later on in WCW as the faces of fear. And this match worked. You had speed and power. You had a crowd that was very hot and wanted to cheer something. And the Rockers gave him plenty to cheer about. Michaels pinning Haku after the cross body. And it's a really good match, fun opener. And this is something that we looked at it with WrestleMania 3 as well. Good opener, really good tag team formula with speed against power. Some things just work.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was a, uh, it was fun, and then we get to um, backstage. Mean Gene, he's there with a couple of celebrities. Like always, there's going to be a Mean Gene flirting with one of the girls. Segment, like a little, uh, little interaction. Mean Gene just always trying to, uh, to shoot his shot, and he's talking to Marla Maples, who was the second wife of Donald Trump. Um, he's actually talking to Regis Philbin a little bit too And then he has some um, kind of the, some, A little goofy shtick with Alex Trebek There and uh, super young Alex Trebek Super young Regis They were going for kind of the Like Hollywood type because they were In LA so this was just kind of Fun and goofy and then we get Bobby Heenan Joining Gorilla so we get that that good team Getting ready to start but it is kind of funny How much Trump you know we see Trump A little bit later but how much he was involved In early WWE
1: yeah, yeah, he, you get him a, like a little interview, and that's times during the uh, during the show you sit in there front row. I mean, he was at three of the four WrestleManias during the stretch four, five, yeah. seven. So, yeah, and then of course, obviously later on, when he has the you know, the hair for hair match, um, you know, where he's represented and, and Vince is represented by uh, Umaga, um, and he was he was represented by Lashley, right? It was Bobby Lashley, yeah, yeah, that it was sure.
2: Bobby Lashley,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's done a lot of work, and obviously, we know that Trump and McMahon have a long history and actually friends. So, uh, you know, that still runs today.
2: Yeah, and that was a fun segment in back with Alex Trebek was, and uh, yeah. Gene Okerlund doing the Abbott and Costello yeah. who, what, form of a question type yep. thing. He it was by on by first, no yeah. high-concept humor, but it works, and both guys played their parts really, really well. By the way, Regis Philbin doesn't look like he's aged a whole heck of a lot. No, you're right, he looks years. great. That guy's plastic surgeon's got to make a lot of money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, Bobby, when Bobby the brain comes in and he sits down, and he, you know, and, and Gorilla's like, "Wow, look at look at the the stars that meet Jean's with." And he says, "Yeah, they're a bunch of Ham and Eggers." And then that's like the first line. It's like one of his first lines when he sits down. And and you know what? This is another just a really good show for him. It's like every yeah. time you kind of forget that he's there, he comes with just an a, a, some really awesome commentary at some point. Um, that leads us into. The Texas Tornado versus Dino Bravo. What a sad match to watch back. Yeah. Um, not because it was you know bad or like a bad match or anything. It's just um, this was a match that we're still starting to build up Texas Tornado. He, this was his only WrestleMania match. Two years after this match, he died. He committed suicide. He was part of that big Texas uh, Von Erich wrestling family. And then Dino Bravo. This was also his last WrestleMania match. He died in 1993. Um, Prob- rumored had to have been killed by the mafia So just a, I mean by 1993, by two years after This, both of these guys are, are passed away
1: Yeah, Bra- Bravo's Real name was Adolfo Bresciano He was actually an Italian guy and, and he actually married into the mafia I think the, the niece of, of somebody who was in the mob And uh, I think he was in They said he was involved in like a cigarette smuggling Enterprise or something like that And they think that that's what it was And yeah, uh, Kerry Von Eric, I mean you know, talk about the the Von Erich family. They're like the Kennedys of wrestling.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good comparison. I mean,
1: just a huge name in wrestling with so much tragedy. I mean, you know, you think about the first brother uh, was David, I believe, the first brother. David, uh, yeah, yeah, that died. But he had he actually had health issues. He was found, uh, I believe, dead in the hotel room, uh, and I think that was only, I think that was back in like 1984. And then you had the other two brothers that committed suicide. Kerry Von Eric Tornado himself was in a, a, a terrible motor, uh, motorcycle accident where he ended up losing his foot and and this wrap your head around this this guy wrestled for like eight years with a prosthetic foot that the vast majority of people even in the locker room did not know no and they didn't know. Because he took a shower with his boots on. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's it's like you think the about stories them. there's a movie about him yeah. and it's just I think five of the six um, sons died um, before Fritz.
1: Yes, yeah. and
0: yeah. 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 it's just very, very sad.
1: There's a lot of good stuff with with Kerry von Erich that you could pull up on YouTube. a lot of his original matches. In WCCW, the, the Von Erich Freebird rivalry, yes, you know, which was incredible. I mean, that went on for for years, which actually started out of a Kerry Von Erich, Ric Flair cage match. Um, you know, it was like the beginning of the Freebird uh, Von Erich feud, and then you could actually find uh, Kerry Von Erich when he won the NWA championship against Ric Flair in Texas Stadium in front of like forty-five thousand people in '84. That match is actually on YouTube. It's fun to watch. Came out flying in WWF, won the Intercontinental title from from perfect in 1990, but never really had the the run that you thought he would. And obviously, he was battling a lot of demons, unfortunately. The match itself, it's short. It is what it is. Uh, Bravo gets some offense in to begin, goes in for kind of like this what looked like a jump off the top rope, but he really just kind of fell into the tornado, gave him that claw. You get the the tornado spin punch, and and that was the end of the match. There wasn't a whole lot to it, but... I couldn't, I couldn't really help, but uh, like you said, just thinking about how this match was just a foreshadowing for just two figures. It was so sad,
2: yeah. We could talk for hours about the Von Erich family and all of the things that went on there. The story that I will tell is the one that David Manning, the former world-class referee, tells when he found out David Von Erich had died in his hotel room in Japan. He gets the call and he floors it to where fritz lived he said it was about an hour and a half drive that he made in closer to an hour because he was just flooring it down the streets in texas he gets there it's early in the morning he knocks on fritz's door fritz opens the door looks at david and says which one it's just it's gut-wrenching and You look at what's going on, what happened with that family, and there's a couple of different documentaries about it. WWE did a good one on world-class. Yes. There's an independent documentary out there where they focus a little bit more on the TV production side of things. That one is also excellent. It shows Kevin Von Erich walking through the sportatorium right before it gets torn down. That's an emotional roller coaster for sure. This match, I think Darren summed it up perfectly. It is what it is. Dino Bravo's not good. Kerry's peak was many years before this He was battling his own demons And there are various accounts From people like Bret Hart and Ric Flair That basically say he was Impaired with various Substances pretty much all the time If you look at his match Against Jerry Lawler at one of the Old AWA super clash matches It's a tremendous match But if you notice he comes out Bleeding from his bicep And they have to work it into the match They do and it's a great match. It's a bloody match. It's not for the faint of heart. That's something that is on YouTube, I believe. If not, it's also in rotation on the old ESPN Classic channel, if anybody out there still gets that. But just what could have been with the Von Erich family? Kerry does get his WrestleMania moment, but it's really tough to appreciate it, given everything else that was going down. They,
1: they also did a Dark Side of the Ring on the Von Erics right? Last yes, yeah, that, yes. Ooh, that was, was that rough. I mean, that's a great it's,
0: series. It's a great series, too, oh, these Dark no, Side no, of the Rings.
1: Yeah, but if you—I mean—if you haven't seen the one, on, I mean, well, if you haven't seen any of them, watch them because you're going to learn stuff that you never—it's going to blow your mind on all the topics. Um, but if you didn't see the one on the Von Erichs, by all means, it's much must-watch.
0: Up next, I think is one of the matches that Darren was probably alluding to when, uh, when he talked about some kind of hidden, hidden decent matches. Um, we get a little, uh, promo in the back with Sean Mooney, who is, was who great. And Sean Mooney has kind of resurfaced recently, um, doing some stuff. He has a podcast. I know, uh, Conrad, uh, Got him back and kind of evolved a little bit With um, with some of the, uh, the, um, the Conventions that they do and I think he even did a, a thing or two with AEW initially And now he's actually doing some stuff with um, With the NWA again he was actually on NWA Power uh, on YouTube uh, and did Some episodes with them but um, Sean Movie Is in the back interviewing the Warlord And Slick the Warlord who looks Who looks just like a bigger more Built blew up uh, Stone Cold he really does He has that look um, and the Warlord and the Barbarian Weren't a bad tag team You know, a couple years prior to this They were like a big, um, powerful tag team That were just kind of a different dynamic To some of the smaller, quicker tag teams And we have another match That's kind of built around the full Nelson here This is kind of the British Bulldogs First, you know, he's he's getting his run now um, As a singles competitor you, I'm looking at this match on paper And I remember They had like a, the entire 1991 was these two guys like going at it? They wrestled at WrestleMania, um, at SummerSlam. They were in a, a six-man tag match against each other in the Survivor Series. They were in a, a tag match on opposite sides, and then they had another singles match at this Tuesday in Texas at the end of 1991. So they were back and forth all year. These two guys had really good chemistry. I'm, I'm I was like so pleasantly surprised with this match when I wa- I watched it. The crowd was really into Bulldog. Uh, Warlord was getting crazy heat. And I mean, both of these guys look jacked. I, I, I read something where they're like, "There's no way they're passing a wellness test nowadays." I mean, they are oh. just, just huge. But this was fun. It was a quicker pace than I had ever thought or remembered it was. And the crowd was really into it. Um, you know what? I, I was pretty, I was pleasantly surprised with this match.
1: Yeah. Uh, you well, know, the funny thing you mentioned the uh, Barbarian and, and the Warlord tag team. Meltzer actually called them the worst tag team of 1989 go for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean bulldog bulldog is like 8 removed 8 or 9 months removed from a terrible car accident yeah uh, where he was involved with with, uh, with with i think it was in july of eight, i think it was july 4th of 89 actually he ended up getting like 130 stitches in his head um, but uh, when he and he used to wrestle over in japan from 88 to 90 after him and dynamite split, uh, split up But he came back starts his run here the one thing that you that you know about Bulldog is that for a big, powerful guy, he can move. I yes. mean, quick off the ropes, and and he does things that you wouldn't expect from a guy like his size. But you're right that these two just had chemistry together. When you put them opposite the ring from one another, you, you get buzz from the crowd. You know, you, you would have a Heenan, you know, really playing it up. Look at these guys. You know, like just. And you would just be like, well, who's gonna who's gonna outpower the other guy? And you get that cool moment here, you know, after the after the full Nelson, where you know Warlord goes for the power slam, Bulldog reverses it, and you know Monsoon's going nuts. He got him off. You didn't think he'd be able to do it, you know. Heenan's yelling, "I can't believe it!" You know, it's just it it's great stuff. And and the match itself for two bruisers that are knocking each other all over the ring, just like we said. A hidden gem of this of this card. I thought it was a really good match for two guys that, like you said, go at it all year and make for a really
2: fun rivalry. Darren, just to give you an idea of how similarly we viewed this match, my notes on this match legitimately say surprisingly fun power match. I'm literally yeah. reading them off right there as they are. And we feel pretty similarly about this. Uh, you think about the Warlord. You don't exactly think a five-star machine or big match warlord or anything of the sort. He was a big dude that looked like something out of the 80s because that's what he was. He was a power and paint dude, big menacing heel. The Bulldog meanwhile, I think it's a little bit of a bad rap with the exception of a couple of matches that we know about with Brett and with Sean. Yes, he looked like a muscle head. Yes, he was on some stuff. In fact, Gino, you mentioned not being able to pass a wellness test. Now, he didn't pass a wellness test (laughs) in the early 90s. Brian Warrior actually got fired when the steroid stuff came down that Vince was dealing with. Both he and Warrior failed drug tests or so the story goes. But Bulldog could work. And there are some times where I feel like he doesn't get his due because he was overshadowed by Dynamite Kid, one of the best in-ring performers of all time. He was overshadowed by Brett, his brother-in-law. This is a guy who, if you put him in a time machine, take him 30 years in the future, there are things that he could do with current wrestlers that would be really fun to watch. And that's evidenced because his kid's doing a lot of that stuff over in all Japan. But meanwhile, this was a fun match. Bulldogs power slam is a thing of beauty as always. They do the full Nelson thing. And I miss when you could build suspense around a submission move like WWE did with the full Nelson with a number of wrestlers in the late 80s and early 90s. We talked about a match at WrestleMania three that spotlighted that the warlord has it. It's just not something that gets done anymore. There are very few submission holds now where if you get in them, you're done and the match is over. In fact, there are very few finishers like that in general, but that's a different subject for a different time. This match was a lot of fun. I didn't remember it being a lot of fun, so I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, one thing I'll also add, you, you know that Vince really liked the Bulldog for the amount of times that he kept coming back over the years. Yes, yep. Yep. Kept bringing. You know, he, he comes back SummerSlam 94, he's in the crowd You know, in the corner of Brett They play up the whole Anvil and Owen Brett Bulldog thing, bring him back again You know, by the way uh, Royal Rumble 95 When him and Sean go the like the Distance together, basically uh, I mean, Bulldog's performance In that Royal Rumble is was phenomenal was awesome. Phenomenal, so yeah, so good I mean, for a guy, again, his size but Then he comes back and he's in the Cornette Stable and he has the thing with the survivor series and the wild card match
0: and i mean just so the many- jeans late with the rock yeah. even he had a, a match he got York. rock
2: bottomed into the dog poop yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah
1: yeah they bring him back so many times and it just goes to show you how much they thought of him in terms of his character and his work and you know just you know him i think he died i think he was maybe he was young he was probably in his yeah. lower 40s uh but yeah very very sad another one that was gone way too soon Incredible worker and like you know like Andrew said and like we said before this is one of those matches that I when I went back and I watched it and I said wow you know what I forgot that this was a damn good match
0: And he he had um he was one of a few in this era that could Connect with the fans without really cutting like a world beater promo You know like he had a connection with the fans, but he wasn't ever really someone you would expect to give like a monster promo It was all just very basic and very simple, but the the he always the fan from the d- the days with the the bulldogs um all the way through and even in his hard foundation stuff when he was a heel later um he he had that connection one way or the other with the fans the fans really liked him I think it was just he was another one that we would talk about Kerry Von Eric as as he got older and older he was his own worst enemy you know he it was just his own personal demons and um I don't know if you ever read like some of the the book that that Brett has out and some of the book that his um um his ex-wife or his wife had out which were just talking about some of the things that he was doing and like how how under the influence he was like yeah. apparently the whole 92 SummerSlam match the main event you know like Brett carried him because he was just like like passed out almost before the match he was so nervous and and drugged up so uh this guy he just he had a sky's the limit of ability and he was able To when he was able to kind of clean himself up For periods of time he was able to flash it um, Quite a bit and this was a good match For him in a good year um, in 91 and then Into 92 where he won the IC title Next next matchup Was the uh, the Heart Foundation versus The Nasty Boys we got a, a Couple funny fun promos Right before this match too The Nasty Boys said we're gonna put an we're going to put an end to the stink in the pink right before the match started and then we got insane jim the anvil oh. nihar you're going to crack the foundation you're going to rock the foundation i mean it was it was really good a couple fun promos before we got this match started
1: yeah it, that that promo from anvil was almost like an ultimate warrior thing where like you didn't really understand his point you know <laughs> exactly. like, you got to be at the bottom of the foundation and that's where you're going to be and you're like well you just said in order to crack the foundation they got to be at the bottom and, and they I are gonna be at the bottom. <laughs> you know so it's like it's just typical and then hitman picks it up and he's like yeah you're at the bottom of the barrel <laughs> you know trying to like figure it out but um you know one thing about this this is the last match of the heart foundation it is um, yeah anvil was on his way out brett you know is going to begin obviously the solo career, which is going to lead up to, you know, SummerSlam 91 with the unbelievable match with Mr. Perfect. And of course it'd be unbelievable. But you know, the one thing I'll I'll take away, I mean, we could talk about the heart foundation until we're, we're blue in the face. I never liked the nasty boys. And I don't mean that from a character standpoint, I never thought they were any good. They were, to me, they were really stiff in the ring. They didn't do a whole lot. I get it. I get their whole shtick you know, if you're telling me that that's the kind of heels they are and the kind of things that they do, but it just got old for me. And a guy that like watched other, you know, other uh, territories and watched their work in WCW, how many times are these guys going to win with somebody throwing them something and, you know, hitting the guy with a helmet or hitting the guy with a megaphone. And and it just got really old for me. And, and I mean, this was a good way to, to get the belts off the hearts and then, you know, get them over to the Legion of Doom and SummerSlam. But it's what when I watched this match, it really just reminded me that I just never ever appreciated or liked the nasty boys
2: for me. The MVP of this match was Macaulay Culkin, yeah, yeah. in yeah. the crowd right away. And that leads into a couple of uh cool little puns by Gorilla Monsoon and the folks on commentary. Now, on a serious note, Brett does everything oh, in yeah. this yeah. match, <laughs> <My> <laughs> hurt. Butt off hurt. The anvil, yeah. runs people over. And the Nasty Boys are just sort of there. If they're a mid-card tag team act, they're fine. They get cheap heat doing some stuff. The part of the promo that I really liked was when they took uh, Gene Ogreland's yeah. pocket square and used it as a handkerchief and they tried to stuff <laughs> it back into his yeah. suit. There were certain things that they did where they were pretty good at gathering heat. But this was a performance from Brett that showed, okay, yeah, the Heart Foundation's going to be over. But Brett's going to be around for a really, really, really long time. There were a couple of really cool sequences in this match where all four guys were going at it with one another. Hart gives uh, the Nasty Boys the helmet. They bash the helmet over the guy's head. They get the titles. By the way, unsung performance, not by Jimmy Hart, but by the people that did Jimmy Hart's wardrobe. If you (laughs) watch very closely, he is in a different outfit each time. time he comes out. And that I thought was a brilliant little touch that we don't see anymore.
0: Macho Man WrestleMania Four, you know, uh, coming out to the yeah. ring in a different uh, in a different uh, every single time for each of it his matches. Dress, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, th- yeah, this was this was good. This was a good good tag match, like you mentioned. I think you hit it on the nail. It was it was Brett working. The heels did the typical heel shtick. Um, and you just watch this match, like you watch this match and some of the throughout the rest of the night, and it's just like obviously in kayfabe. The officiating was just awful I mean awful. awful Like you look at Hebner in this match He's just yeah. missing everything that the Nasty Boys And then he's all over the hearts Like any time that Nyart is just trying to get in the I'm ring
1: I'm glad you brought that up Because that that's one part of this match that bothered me You have to get yeah. the finish and I get it But when they do the heart attack It's the same thing every he's, time I know. In, He hits it and you count the three Why this time? Out.
2: Out. get out of the ring i know in the last like, six years he's never done that it was just... it makes you wonder what courses they teach at referee university <laughs> right. i would love to see a course calendar <laughs> and a curriculum yeah. with prerequisites you have to take in order to get your stripes
0: yeah oh, that that was that was funny but uh yeah this was this was a, a definitely a brett um calling card type match this was this was great for brett we went about twelve ten Jimmy Hart celebrating like crazy after the the one thing I really did like about this show though it was very quick paced like at the end of every match there wasn't a whole lot of celebrating in the ring it was like boom matches over promos for the next one or straight to or like straight to the video package just to set it up boom boom so it felt like especially early in the show like these first five or six matches it was like boom good pretty good match or Good match storyline, boom, right to the next one And we're immediately setting um, In the videos to set up the Jake The Snake versus Rick Martell This is again like what we were talking about in Wrestlemania 3 Even all these matches that aren't Great, they all have Really good builds, really good storylines This was an, uh, this was one of them And this was something different I think um, they're probably looking at what ended up being The blindfold match and on paper It probably seems like it would work a little bit better Than it does, but I, I will say um we got a a really you know quick just an unbelievable like a 30 second Jake promo that is just like chilling to hear you know and just yeah. a great Jake promo and they they focus in on his eyes um and no and no matter what it's an 8 minute match where there's like very little ring work they're just kind of trying to find each other throughout the match the crowd is going ballistic throughout this match trying to help Jake and trying to help him like figure out where the model is it's just it it's fun. I think when I was younger, and I don't, I still don't mind the novelty to it. But when you're just kind of reviewing it as a match in itself, it's just there's just not a lot there that goes on.
1: Yeah, when when I watched this, because this this I actually watched live as a kid. Um, it was a lot of fun to watch when I'm when I'm seven eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, number one, you know, you have the video lead up. And by the way, I mean Jake is so good. <laughs> Like when he's when he's in the doctor's office and they're putting the, the gauze on his ah, eye and he's just oh, the ah, his reaction his and, and the yeah. doctor has got like terrible bedside manner and he's like yeah we're gonna see next week if you're boring or not you know? <laughs> I know it's... And, and it's like then then you get like the next the next scene uh, with Brother Love when when you see the eye and, and he DDTs Brother Love and you know what you don't realize is that that stuff was months and months ago. Yeah. Like this stuff went on for like six months with Martel, and that's my problem with this match. The feud was built up for so damn long, and Jake was so good, and Martel was so good that this the blow off for this tremendous like street feud fight is an eight minute blindfold match where you touch each other four times like that. Like from that standpoint, looking back as I do now intellectually. Makes no sense. Sure, there was some funny things. You know, Martel would slam him. Wait seven seconds. Jake's not there. Drop an elbow. And yeah. it's funny. <laughs> you know, watching that kind of stuff is funny, and and the crowd is into it. But looking back on it intellectually, the way that they blew off this feud just made no sense.
2: I remember seeing videos of this build. There was a video. There was a countdown somewhere of the world's worst WrestleMania matches. This was high on the list. And for good reason, they showed some of the promos and the line that I remember Jake Roberts saying, this is one of the few times I ever heard him yell on a microphone. He goes, Martel, I can't see you, but I can damn sure smell (laughs) you. Name me one other wrestler that could have pulled that off.
0: You can't. no,
2: that the promos, the storyline was so well done. And I have to imagine that if I was at WrestleMania and saw the match in person, it would have been a far different experience than if we were watching it here Mm -hmm. 30 years after the fact, or even live as it was happening, because the crowd went ballistic. And if you listen to Jake talking about it later, He talks about the psychology that went into it and he's got this gigantic smile on his face. And you have to think it was fun because if you're a wrestler in that kind of a match, you don't have to do a whole heck of a lot of work. No, Martel took one bump. It was the DDT boom. And it was one of those things that, yeah, it's memorable for a lot of people. It's memorable for the wrong reasons. If you're there, you know, it's probably remembered in a little bit more of a positive light, but watching the way that we have to watch because in my case i was two or three at the time gino you were four darren you were probably the senior one of the group at what eight or nine i was um, uh, seven,
1: going on eight yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's it's different and it's best to remember the storyline as opposed to the blow off.
0: Um Bobby was pretty great at here talking about how scary Jake is, you know, he was like, yeah, he's one of those Seedy characters and he goes bumping bumping the night and uh and Martel actually got him in a Boston Crab Jake powers out And then boom DDT um, After the match Jake gets Damian the Snake out He breaks the air against Bottle But even what you were kind of talking about Darren Like Martell kind of gets off Before he even gets like He doesn't really get the total tot- uh, ton of comeuppance On him with a Snake or anything for-, for all the build it was like you just got the one DDT and the win I would have liked to see a- to Jake be able to get um, A little bit more there But this was a you know this was more, I guess, about the angle than the match, and I still don't feel like they, they necessarily like ended this angle well.
1: No, no, they didn't. I mean, this, this like now, like today, this would never happen. Obviously, no, they would never do a match like this ever again. This this kind of a feud would have ended with a, you know, uh, either a TLC or it would have been a Hell in the Cell, or if it was at a regular pay per view, it could have been a pinfalls count anywhere. It would have been something with a crazy stipulation. You know, there would have been Kendo sticks and all kinds of stuff going yeah. on yeah it just looking back on it it just it just leaves you flat because the promo work was so good and all of the the vignettes and all of the the videos that you see and you know Jake Martel's wrestling Tito and Jake goes flying in and he, he's on top of Tito and he thinks it's Martel and he doesn't realize like I mean it's it, that went on for months months and and it ends in with a match where two guys with a blindfold on their head you know just doesn't work
0: yeah, we get to uh, Marla Maples and Jimmy Hart and the Nasty Boys. They're drinking and celebrating in the locker yeah. room, uh, trying to interview them. Oh, uh, the too- stunk in that spot, man. Oh, oh right. Oh, yeah. Earthquake, Dino. Oh, <laughs> just not, not great. So uh, we we then get to when we talk about big moments on a show, how about this moment? Uh next up it's The Undertaker with Paul Bearer and he's making his WrestleMania debut against Jimmy Snuka. The Undertaker was only 26 years old uh, at this time. He you know, he was booked as a heel, but he since he was so different than than a lot of what you saw in wrestling, he always he pretty much always got some pops. You know, he always got like a, at least a good reaction and um this was a four minute kind of squa- uh, squash It was Snuka Kind of as an elder statesman It seemed like they were just kind of giving Snuka like four or five Chances to to take down the Undertaker This way, this way, this way, and to show yeah. Wow, this Undertaker, you just can't get to him This was a build for uh, One of the greatest uh, WWE Performers of all time um, It was pretty quick, quickly um, Right out of the ring and right to the setup For Macho King versus Ultimate Warrior Which was following, but this was you know, the first time we got to see Undertaker at WrestleMania, a massive streak that would follow.
1: Yeah, a few things about this. One, a funny thing. It's the only match I ever remember Jimmy Snuka wearing boots. Yeah, no, you're right. That's Most a really different. good point. I didn't yeah. even
2: notice that, but you're yeah. right.
1: It's the only match I ever, and I don't know why. I, I, and I. by the way, I've seen this match 50 times. I didn't notice it until I watched it yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Um, no, another cool thing in this match, uh, Snooker's is in the ring and gorilla monsoon refers to him as the phenom, which I thought was really, Oh, hilarious. wow. I didn't, yeah, I didn't pick that one yeah. up. Yeah. He referred, he goes, Jimmy Snooker, the phenom of WWE. And I was like, wow, how about that? You know? So I, I thought that was really interesting. It's the first pay-per-view appearance for Paul Barra, who became the manager of the Undertaker about a month and a half before this. Um, I watched this match this time. Um, From a different perspective, because uh, I watched uh, the uh, Broken Skull session. I rewatched it uh, for this with uh, Stone Cold and and Undertaker. Uh, And he talked about how when this character started, and he's talking about from 90 to beginning of 92, that when he was Mean Mark and Mark Calloway, he was a very athletic wrestler. And he could do a lot of things you wouldn't expect a guy his size to do and of course we know that from watching him in the ring but he makes a point to say in my early matches as the undertaker i had to tell myself during the match to slow down because of the character it should be slow methodical lethargic and you can even watch in this You match, can see
0: it yes where he has to like remind himself a few times him,
1: he gets snooky in the corner and he starts to go you know boom 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 like quick shots And you see him take a step back and literally take a breath and literally telling himself to slow down. And he gets right back into that creep walk, following him around the ring, which I thought was really interesting to go back and watch. And I'm going to do more of his matches watching that after hearing the interview with Stone Cold. Um, The other couple of things, you get a you, you get a foreshadowing of the stuff that he could do. A massive flying clothesline. And then you get this monster suplex. Where he brings him in from brings Snuka in from the outside of the ring and it's such a monster suplex cuz he holds him up and then he like walks backwards 3 steps holding Snuka before he throws him down and it's just like one of those things where you're like wow you know just a, foreshadow, a foreshadowing of all the things that we were going to get to see from this guy over the next 29 30 years but uh yeah i mean i so i watched it from a different perspective and got to see some things that i honestly i would never seen before because I never really watched it from, from that kind of a standpoint.
2: Here's what jumped out at me. They came back from the interview segment with Marla Maples. Snook is already in the ring. The crowd's appreciative. Snook is a legend. Gong. Yep. Half the audience pops. The other half, and you can see it in a couple reactions, is scared Terrified. to death. There is nobody that has gotten the reaction of fear quite like that ever since. And that's one of the things that Taker did so well and that WWE did so well because the early edict with him is pretty similar to what you see with a lot of monsters where the edict is this guy never leaves his feet. Not only did he look imposing, he worked like it. And you watch this match, snooker is bumping like a madman for taker doing everything he possibly can snooker doesn't leave his feet or taker doesn't leave his feet excuse me and he hits the tombstone and the crowd is awestruck at what they've just seen it's a simple formula but you need a guy with some element of presence to be able to pull it off and safe to assume taker has it because it's 30 years later and we're still talking about him the match itself It's not anything to write home about. Snuka was well past his prime at this point, but doing what he could to put over the younger generation on his way out the door. And this was the start of something big, of course, the streak that lasted more than two decades. And you watch it back, and it's easy to see why this guy turned into such a big star. And I might have to go back just to watch the entrance, because you hear the gong, and yeah, there's a cheer. Paul Bearer comes out. Taker comes out. And the camera focuses on all the little kids. Yeah. And it makes you wonder what their parents were thinking. Because (laughs) I think the parents are wondering, okay, I know this is fake, but my goodness, my kid is going to have nightmares about this guy.
0: Yeah they uh, you know they even uh, hearing a lot of the stuff at the beginning they had to to kind of curtail some of the stuff they were doing with the undertaker right off the bat because he i mean the body bag stuff that they would do on superstars where he would beat someone and then literally put him in a body bag right, right afterwards which was just scary as hell um the, the the beginning here of of one of the all-time greats in in WWF and then oh, to, into WWE
1: real quick to add to andrew's point uh and again
0: on the broken skull
1: session between taker and austin he talks about How in the first few years, especially when he was a heel, um, that when when he would number one, he would always play up the character. He would walk slow when he was out. He you could not see him in anything other than black. Like he lived the character for years and he would get asked by not only seven year old kids, but 15, 16, 17 year old teenagers would ask him if he was actually dead. Like when they met him, and like <laughs> actually being asked if he was really a a live person, and that's how good he was, and how good the character was.
0: The yeah, probably, I mean, I can't recall a character that's better than this ever. No. And in particular, like you, you, when you think about what this character really is and what he was, he did this, and and he made it believable like nobody else. I think ever would have been able to. And a lot of it has to do with the time and the era too. You know, you try to do something like this nowadays, it gets some laughs and it's not quite taken as seriously. Like you just said, people were scared shitless of this guy. <laughs> they I, were yeah, I like,
2: mean to yeah. peggybacking off of Darren's point here and something you mentioned, I can name a couple of guys who, as far as gimmick goes, got close. But the caveat is those gimmicks were extensions of their personalities. You look at Steve Austin, you look at The Rock. They got those gimmicks over to an equal extent. They It was a different situation with Taker because Taker had this character that he had to per, uh, convey as opposed to this being the writing team throwing up their ends and going, oh, let's just let Steve be Steve or let Dwayne be The Rock. This was something completely different and it's a different element of character work that Taker had to do.
1: Yeah, Royal, Royal Rumble 94. I remember vividly in my, my parents' den at their house, I'm watching it with my dad, and that, that's the Royal Rumble where he fights Yoko's yep. in a casket match, and he gets, you know, trying to fight off literally a dozen people, and he ends up in the casket, and then the crazy stuff happens because Taker's going on a bit of a hiatus, um, and he, like, resurrects himself from the casket where he goes up on the screen, and I remember my father just sitting there with like his mouth open at what was going on on the TV where you have like the video of him in the casket talking and then he starts <laughs> to like levitate above the screen and my father looks at me and says and this is a, a 1994 my
0: father was 53 years old he looks at me and he goes Darren i have chills <laughs> <laughs> It was just well done. They did a great job with you know for all the crap we give them about some of the goofy stuff and and the later into the early nineties some of the uh, the weird characters that Vince was always trying to put on someone and I think you know you, you hear Pat Patterson in one of the old uh, documentaries talk about how hey you know maybe they didn't look like a wrestler so you put a character on them you know and then that's what they look like and uh, th- this was the the best uh, of all and and then we lead in from you know the you know the first WrestleMania match for the Undertaker to. Just an all-time awesome, fun, memorable WrestleMania match And in my opinion, by far the best match that the Ultimate Warrior ever even sniffed He had a good one or two with Rick Rude But I just feel like this one was way, way better This was the first ever career versus career match A retirement match for Macho Man versus uh, Macho King Randy Savage at the time versus the Ultimate Warrior They had a, a really big backstory and build for a while where you know, Sherry was trying to get at Ultimate Warrior to give um, the Macho King uh, a shot at the title, and the Warrior wouldn't do it. Remember, they even have that uh, one when Sherry kind of gets down on her knees and says, uh, "What do you want? You know, what can I do for you, Warrior?" And uh, and this was a big build. He they they uh, interfered in the wrestle in the Royal Rumble match against Sergeant Slaughter they end up costing the warrior the title i remember when savage hit that shot on this head with the scepter still yes. when i see it it's like man he nails the warrior and slaughter beats warrior so they had a huge build setting this match up and, and i mean this was this was a fun feud at the time and this match as we go through it was just awesome this was you know not one of the matches like it this was all, all, more than the match in that it was about the storyline with Elizabeth coming back in, but the match does not take a backseat to this whatsoever. It was excellent. I love right off the bat. You see Miss Elizabeth in the crowd. Uh, Macho comes out with Sherry. He's being carried down the aisle on the throne, and and then uh, Ultimate Warrior doesn't run to the ring. Yep. And right off the way you get the Bobby oh, the Bray.
2: He's running yeah. a thousand miles an hour Like that insane fool Usually
0: does <laughs> You could just tell this was going to be A little bit different of a match And I think he, the The Warriors energy in this match Was the best that he's ever had Because the one Issue or problem sometimes with the warrior Is that he was so pumped up And that was part of his character, that was fine He was so pumped up that he would just get a little sloppy You know, in the ring He had the the perfect amount of Like controlled energy in this match He didn't seem like he was going too Full bore at any point But he wasn't like lazing around the ring I just love this match On the, re- at, uh, on the rewatch This match gives me Everything that I want in my Wrestling matches, it's more than than Like really good ring work, you get Some bells and the whistles there, with Sherry keep coming in, you get a ref Bump here, you get a couple really Big crazy spots where you didn't expect Someone to kick out of a finisher, this was Like one of the first times where you've seen finishers Get kicked out of in a match, on both Sides, um, Just that you know the five elbow drops, um, Warrior looking up to the sky, asking the gods. You know after Savage kicks out, is this my time? You know and just back and forth. This match ends up going 20 minutes and and at the end, you know Ultimate Warrior wins by putting his foot on Savage's chest, which he had talked to Savage about before. Ref counts the pinfall. I just love this match.
1: I, I agree, and this this conversation is going to take a while because there's a lot of things. Oh yeah, 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 yeah for sure. We're going to be here a little bit that we need to hit on because there's a lot of different cool things that we can talk about. Um, look, obviously, throughout the match, you're getting Sherry, you know, going to be interfering with everything. What one thing that that disappoints me not about the match, but in the afterwards, because you never really got like the the sit downs with Jim Helwig, aka the Ultimate Warrior, where he would sit down and talk about his wrestling career matches because. He was such a weird guy. and He
0: felt actually, like they were coming right as he just, like yeah. they were about to come, you know what I mean? As yeah. he just come I, back into the WWE. I would
1: love to have known if he walked out to that ring on purpose to try not to make sure that he didn't blow, you know, sure. blow himself up. I would love to know if that was his idea or if that was part of the story where this match is different and I'm taking things differently and more seriously. I would love to know the thought process. Uh, that went into that um, The beginning parts of the match You know it, it's perfect Every time Savage hits him with a move Sherry distracts him Savage hits him with a move It stuns the Warrior for two seconds Boom big power move right back at you You know shakes it off uh, The distraction of on um, the small package Warrior gets up irate Hepner gets hit with one of the best Referee cells of all time Falls down like a stiff Board oh, so- in the woods like bounces off the ropes great sell you get to the you get to the five elbow drops now you want to talk about protected finishers i can only I, and you guys if if you could think of another one up to this point jump in i can only think of hogan at wrestlemania 5 as the only guy at a pay-per-view that ever kicked out of the elbow yep even yeah, steamboat right, yeah. yeah steamboat never got the elbow well, he got it, but the referee was down. There was no count, mm-hmm. so I can't. I, it's probably one of the three or four most protected finishers of all time. Um, and I know some people take exception to the fact that they allowed you know him to hit five elbows and the warrior kicks out. But then you return the favor, like you said, hits him with the uh, with the press slam, hits him with the splash, savage kicks out, and then you have, in my opinion, the best. Three to four minutes of Ultimate Warriors storytelling career, where he's just on his knee looking up with like the hand up to whatever the hell he talks to yeah, in yeah. the sky, asking, like, am I supposed to continue? And and the referee's trying to talk to him, and he's looking at his hands and talking to his hands, and he's in right. like a different place. It's so damn good for the story and the match. Now, the one thing I don't like about this match. And I love the finish where the Warrior puts the foot on the chest and you get the. I love how the match ended. But I didn't love the fact that he hits him with the three flying tackles and he falls out of the ring each time and throw. I would have liked there to have been something else in between those tackles and the pin because it felt a little bit unrealistic to me that he kicked out of your two big moves, but now three flying tackles. And that's it. And that's it. That's that's my only gripe if I have to pick anything with the match but the image of him with the foot on the chest and, and the and the arms in the air I thought was phenomenal. We could talk about the Elizabeth stuff after we let Andrew dissect the match a bit.
2: Okay, I've got a couple of anecdotes and uh, this is actually going to be a little bit different from uh, from Darren's point of view first of all, I was lucky enough to meet Sherry Martell when I was 10 or 11 years old. She did an independent show in New Jersey in Wildwood. My dad and I went down there for a couple of days, and my dad was no Sherry Martell fan. He was an old-school 1980s professional wrestling fan, and he was stunned. I had no idea who she was, but she was very, very nice. God rest her soul. She was incredibly nice to a young Andrew, and I've never forgotten that. Uh, Having said that, going back to this match, Darren, you hit on it a little bit. We had a Twitter conversation a couple of days ago with a guy whose stuff I've actually seen a little bit more the past couple of days. His name is Ryan Slocum. He does a lot of uh, broadcast work in Michigan. He does some YouTube stuff on professional wrestling. And he had done a series on the worst WrestleMania matches of all time. That's actually pretty good if you've got the time to take. He did not like this match. For the reason that you mentioned, the five elbow drops and Warrior getting to kick out and Savage kicking out of Warrior stuff and Warrior doing his thing, here's my counter. The Ultimate Warrior never did anything that made sense in his entire career. This guy was a cartoon character strung up on human growth hormone and whatever (laughs) drugs Jason Service and Ori Navarro (laughs) allegedly put into their horses. (laughs) Nothing about this guy made any semblance of sense and that is why people loved him because he was this wild man that was completely different from anything that anyone else was doing. So I get that it wouldn't have had the same effect if say Ricky Steamboat did it, but warrior doing it where you almost got the sense that he was human to me. That was brilliant. And I agree with Darren. The fact that the three flying tackles were an ideal do two of the tackles do the press slam and the splash. I think it works a little bit better, but I'll agree with Gino. Probably the best match of Ultimate Warrior's career, unless you're counting the match at SummerSlam. I believe it was the next year or the year after that. My 90. timeline's a little bit yeah, fuzzy. It, I think it was but,
0: 90 with Rude. Maybe was it 90 uh, No, in the no, cage? Savage
2: or? a couple oh, the, of years later oh, the, on, Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, yeah, oh, yeah the, that's the, a good one, too. Like, perfect, with,
1: perfect, yeah, yeah. With, yeah, with Flair, that match was... Uh,
2: yeah, that's good. That was a non-finish, and the rumor there was Warrior was about to turn heel. There are, I guess, action figures out there of Warrior in really cool all-black attire, and I guess they were lean- they were toying with the idea of turning him heel, but instead they did a non-finish at SummerSlam. That was the same SummerSlam with Bret Hart and Davey Boy doing their yeah. classic match, so it gets forgotten a little bit. But no shock here with Randy Savage pulling out an all-time great match from a guy who isn't traditionally remembered as a terrific worker, and then you get the stuff after the match with Sherry Martel beating up her meal ticket, and Elizabeth not being able to take it anymore, running in from the audience, doing the tearful embrace with Macho Man holding the ropes for. Her. Somebody needed to stop chopping the onions in the arena yeah. because <laughs> yep. there were grown men crying, bawling, bawling. Yeah.
1: It's amazing they, when they pan the crowd. I mean, you have you, you, they really focus on the women. There's a young girl who looks like maybe she's eighteen, nineteen. There's very I think she's probably a a meme or a GIF on Twitter that they probably use sometimes uh, of her crying. But then you, they go to two shots of older women that are in their thirties and forties, you know, that are crying. And I mean, back then you didn't know that. I don't think you knew that Macho and and Elizabeth were actually married. And no, born. no. Going through problems. Like that was not like tears of, oh my God, like, you know, this is a real couple that has a lot of issues. This is like tears of watching two characters reunite on the TV. Ross
0: and Rachel, you know, on your TV show.
1: And the one cool thing that I really like, they recreate the WrestleMania 4 moment with her on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. You know, when he won the belt uh, at WrestleMania 4 and walked around the ring with her on his shoulder. And like you said, Andrew. You know, holding up the uh, the ropes to her and, and and heading out and of course again you know it's the last time we're ever gonna see him in the ring and you know, <laughs> a month later he's been reinstated or whatever yeah next yeah, year the, next
0: year he's fighting for the title
2: yeah, <laughs> against Rickir stuff and the stipulations attached if Vince knew what was coming he would have, have made gotten a completely movie. different ending. And I don't think it would have worked because you'd have gotten warrior leaving Savage almost certainly wouldn't have reunited with Elizabeth. We wouldn't have gotten that moment. We wouldn't have gotten the wedding a couple of months later. It would have robbed us of a lot of really good stuff. We certainly wouldn't have gotten the big pop for warriors return the next year with WrestleMania eight, because that match with Savage gave him, a lot of momentum that maybe got lost when Slaughter beat him for the title after warrior had the long reign where he didn't really move the needle as much as a lot of people thought he should have. It's one of those fascinating what if scenarios. And you wonder if somebody went back in time and said, okay, Vince, here's what's going to happen in six months. Do you still want to do this? Yeah. It's a fascinating what if, and what we yeah. got is just, it's so tremendous and it's one of those things where wrestling doesn't have to be overly complicated in order to provoke emotion out of people, because you get a sense of Elizabeth being the one that got away for Randy Savage in character. She comes back and everybody in the crowd can relate to something like that. And you don't have to be overly complicated in order to tell a wonderful story. And that's the wonderful story that we got.
1: And on the warrior, by the way, it's kind of it's it's pretty wild because he leaves after SummerSlam. We I, I, the old story of you know he had he held McMahon up for a sum of six figures. Otherwise he wasn't going out. And apparently when you know he chased Adnan and Mustafa back through the robe uh, through the curtains. The story is McMahon was there and fired him on the spot. And and you don't see Warrior again till till WrestleMania Eight. Now he didn't get popped for the uh, the drug test until ninety two. Yeah. Yeah. So the nine. So he got popped for the HDH with Bulldog in '92. But when he comes back at WrestleMania 8 I mean, he looks so different. Everybody, Everybody thought he was were, a different guy. They were they saying it was Kerry, was Kerry Von, Von Eric, Eric. Yeah. 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 That was yeah. the, the His, rumor. Hair was like missing six or seven inches, and he looked like he weighed thirty pounds less. And I'm sitting there, and, I, and and again, when you're eight years old, nine years old, you're you're not realizing this. But looking back on it now, if you watch you know, this in SummerSlam 91, and then look at WrestleMania 8, you would think that he got popped for the HG8 in 91. It was re- it was weird. You're right. His body was weird. He, showed back. he looked so much thinner. So I, I never really understood that, and I'm sure there's some story to it, um, and I don't know what it is, but it's just one of those things that I noticed.
0: Bobby's going nuts all match. This is one of like the matches that he was the most into that wasn't like a flare match uh, that he called. He so, he makes a comment at the end to When right before Savage kicks out of the the gorilla press, when he, when Ultimate Warrior hits it, he says, Don't count Savage out yet, like right after he hits the finisher, which is cool. I love that Bobby was always kind of the guy who could, who could make those comments that a lot of other, the announcers like wouldn't make. I'm sure he knew the finish and he knew what was going to happen. He knew it wasn't, wasn't ending there, but that was just, you know, part of what, what Bobby did so great. And, uh, and then, you know, at the end, um, after the match too, you know, Bobby says, uh, or, you know, Bobby's said something she loves him You know he's screaming she loves him And Gorilla says she loves him from the beginning And people are bawling in the crowd And Bobby even you know For a moment he kind of uh, He gets into like He forgets that he's the brain and he says you know This is better than the love story Uh, You know if if you like that kind of mush Which was just so great like even he like was so into this for a minute and then after the match you know he's saying oh yeah you know that's fluffy fluff but there was a moment where you could see that he got wrapped up in all of it too which was just great
1: and with him i think there's probably some real life in that sure because yeah he knows you know and and i think savage and elizabeth i think were divorced about a year after this or a year and a half after this but he knows you know the saga of of you know Randy Poffo and and elizabeth and and he knows you know how randy is and that they love each other but he's pretty much a psycho when it comes to her (laughs) i mean and i think that in that moment there was probably some real life in heenan that he had to shut down and and get back in character pretty quick
2: yeah and that's the type of thing that with all due respect to some of the wwe announcers that's missing and you look at every announcer any time a big move gets hit, any time a finisher goes, it's over, it's over. And that's how you know it's not. Right. And it's a case where it's going to take a pretty dramatic reversal in philosophy in order to build something like that back up. Because you get things like Heenan saying that. You get things like Heenan saying, but whose side is he on when Hogan oh, yeah. comes out. Oh yeah. And for a little while, Corey Graves had it. But it seems like he's gotten beaten down a little bit yeah. by WWE philosophy. And I understand we're going way off the reservation. No, here. No, no. This is a WrestleMania 7 thing. But this is one of the things that made Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan so great was they played off each other so well. They knew how to build up the product and build up both guys in the ring. And again, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It just has to be something that's executed well. And that's something that they did. As well as just about anybody, save for maybe Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross, yeah, it's uh, it's a short list.
0: this yeah, this this was good., uh, this was a blast, and I'm glad that in this mania we got to watch this match. And I think because it was so good, this was definitely a point where the show it felt like kind of turned a little bit. Um, I mean, leading up to this, almost everything in the was 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 fun, was good. even the down parts weren't too bad. Um, there was a squash, an Undertaker squash, which was, you know, a cool moment. The blindfold match, which was eh, but, you know, it was, you know, more about the moment. And, and then things kind of started to drag, I think, a little bit after this because it's so like everybody was so emotionally invested in this match. It was a great match, um, in ring. And then what happens afterwards, and you're like, you know, you, people are crying, people are up and down, and you get a little exhausted, you know, the next match was, was like a cooler match. It was, um, Demolition versus Mr. Fu uh, Demolition with Fuji versus uh, Tenru and Kito. And we before that we got um some uh Regis talking to Paul Bear and the Undertaker, and then Trebek was talking to to Demolition, and they didn't say very much. And then um Tenru and Koto and K didn't say a whole lot either. Um, and then Alex uh, Trebek was talking to Jake the Snake, who mentioned Damien's favorite category is Reptiles of the World. These were just the like bad interviews, and then Bobby came back with the quip that uh, he set up all the interviews for for everyone. So he he had them all set up with you know interviews with with people that weren't going to really give him a whole lot. I don't really have a ton to say about this match. i looking back, it's just still so surprising that Demolition loses this match.
2: Yeah, why? It,
1: yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you know, yeah, b- because you don't realize looking back that this was kind of like the end of Demolition. They they started to get. Mm-hmm. When they brought LOD in, they, that was yep. the uh, of demolition. And you looking back, you figure you had them lose because they're losing to to mainly. I mean, Cato's fine, but you know, Tenru was kind of a big deal in Japan. Sure, yeah. And um, you you think looking back, well, okay, he's pu- they're putting over Tenru, and Tenru gonna have a run now. You know, in WWE. Well, that never happens. This yeah. is like his only big match, if you want to call it that. In WWE, he shows up in two Royal Rumbles. I think maybe 93 94 something like that. But that's it. And so my my question is, what is the point of the match? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't, and I didn't. why did why did Demolition lose? If you know, like it just made no sense to me looking back.
2: Well, here's the thing that that jumps out at me, and there's a couple of things here. There, it, it baffles me as to why this was booked for any number of reasons. First of all, we've got to make sure that we're completists here this isn't Axe and Smash demolition. No, this is Smash and Crush. Yeah, Axe right. on point. his way out. This was not the original demolition. And when you're watching this on the network, you know, it's not the genuine article because the demolition theme music that Rick Derringer put together yep. is dubbed over. And that what? was the best part of demolition, because if you listen to the theme music, it's, it's powerful stuff. It's Dun, 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 dun. you know business is about to pick up when you hear the music the music's not there it seems like they're just random dudes and at this point they were there was never any real explanation that i could find for why tenru and Katao were there no i mean tenru was i don't want to say a legend in japan But he was an upper mid-card main event guy for a while. He was no Antonio Inoki or anything like that. But he was a guy who had a lot of appeal over in Japan. So I understand why they brought him in for something. In the same vein, it's similar to why WCW did a lot of stuff with Jushin Liger, even though Liger wasn't necessarily a full-card guy. But this baffled me. Nobody in this match sold anything. And you can see... The audience filing out to take a bathroom break or get yep. food or whatever. This was that match.
0: It was it was a bad match. Not only it did it hard. not make sense, it wasn't good. You know, no. um, and this, yeah, I, I just this was one that I didn't feel like we would probably spend a whole lot of time talking about because it just it it wasn't it wasn't very great. And um, yeah, I, I think they put it in the good spot because it was just. Whatever was going to come after the, the savage warrior Wasn't going to get a, a massive reaction So maybe this like you mentioned This is like bathroom match time for them Before we get to the IC title You know Wait,
1: real real quick yeah, go ahead. How much does it suck If you're demolition here Where you know you're being phased out And the reason you're being phased out Is that they brought in the original version Of what of you, you your- <laughs> How much does that have to suck They make you As a counter to the Road Warriors. Like, all oh, right, they got the Road Warriors. We're gonna make our own guys, even though they look like they're into S and M and it's weird. Like that this is gonna be you and you're gonna be our Road Warriors. And then they bring in the actual Road Warriors and you know you're done. You're like, just gone. Terrible. And
0: Christ. the next time we would see yeah. uh would would be Smash would be uh what the repo man? Oh, the repo oh, man, oh, yeah, Barry oh, oh, this, oh, following oh, this oh. and then crush became uh Became you know, like Kona Crush and then crushing the Nation of Domination. He was kind of around for a while, um, but uh, we we get to Mean Gene talking to the Big Boss Man, who was challenging Mister Perfect for the IC title. Um, they cut a promo in the back, and Lord Alfred Hayes is going to join on commentary because Bobby is there with Mister Perfect. Um, I don't think anything too crazy about their promos. They were fine, uh, just pretty pretty typical. And then big we boss.
1: get very upset that his mama's feelings were hurt.
0: Yes, yes, that was that that was it, and, uh, and um, yeah, we get uh, Mister Perfect with Bobby the Brain versus Big Boss Man for the IC title. I will say again, like some of the, the top tier baby faces here, the Rockers, Jake the Snake, Big Boss Man get huge pops from the crowd. Just still a massive pop. Um, lots of heat for Perfect. Perfect bumping all over the place, like you would imagine in a Perfect match. And I think what what was going on here was. They liked both of these guys. They liked Big Boss Man, who was a good mid card babyface at the time, and like a Hogan buddy, where they used him in a lot of spots. And they liked Perfect with his you know heel shtick and his icy title run. And I don't think they were they were ready to give Boss Man and I a title, and I just don't think they wanted Perfect to lose clean here. So it ends up being a a DQ win, and a lot of it is I think to get Andre a payday and to get Andre on the card. You know we've we've seen Andre. In all six of the Wrestlemania so far Leading up to this, he had been a huge Main, you know, drawing point Of Wrestlemania for Vince Forever And I believe this is the last time We see him in the WWF He makes, I think, one appearance in WCW um, And and then it, It's not much longer after this when Andre, Before Andre's gone, uh, unfortunately But he, Andre comes out He can't even get in the ring at this point So in order to, um, to Deal with you know, like I think Haku and Barbarian come out, and he's got to like they have to be come to the outside of the ring in order for him to to kind of punch them out and and give them away. It's it's sad to see Andre moving so slow, but um, I, you know, this was th- there were a lot of moving bells and whistles in here. It was okay, it was fine. It wasn't like a an incredible match, but it was there was a the crowd was in it into it, and and it, there was a lot of heat in this match.
1: Yeah, uh, Andre actually makes one more appearance at SummerSlam that Okay, year. that's what
0: it is. Yeah. Yeah, the, with the with the bushwhackers
1: against yeah he's got the uh those like he's on crutches because his knees are so bad mm-hmm. and i remember him hitting like earthquake and typhoon with the crutch um yeah but i mean look perfect can make anything look good. Oh, good um i mean he does two or three of those midair 360 off the turnbuckles that are just like insane you know you just didn't see that back then from many guys um it, one of when we talked about the referee stuff weird thing in this match. They let the boss man belt Perfect with the strap. Like, he just yells at him. He points the finger. Like, he takes the belt off, and he's just whipping him with his belt strap, and that's okay. And then Perfect wraps it around his fist and hits the boss man twice with the belt buckle, and that's okay. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, all right, well, we're going to let that slide. All right, fine. Um, but a couple of things I did notice in this match. Some of the hits, the chops by Perfect was so good and and i love bossman's short right hand i mean how that doesn't look like it's like really connecting on a he guy He could go
0: man he could go yeah. he doesn't get get talked about enough as like the big guys who can go but i mean the the superplex off the cage with hogan when it was like 88 i think or 89 like around then and he, this guy could go man he really could He could and, and and like you said is it is it a great
1: match no probably not because it's a bit of a weird matchup uh but bossman can work and perfect can work with you know with a broomstick. Uh, so I thought it was a good match. Was it fantastic? No. Um, to be honest with you, I forgot exactly where it was in the card. And I mean, to again, to be honest, until I watched it after the Savage uh, Warrior match, I kind of forgot where every other match was. I don't. It's just, just you, you feel
0: downer because that match yeah. lifts you up so much. It really does. Yeah.
1: yeah. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it's a good match. Good work. Good story. They do fine. Uh, And then you get to see Andre one of the last times Which was cool
2: I liked this match I thought it was a really fun match I hated the finish And here's why You do a little bit of research And you see that the boss man had for the last six months And again, these storylines Taking six months Not something you see Right. The boss man had spent the last six months Going through members of the Heenan family To get to Mr. Perfect The logical conclusion in an era where WrestleMania is where all the baby faces go over boss man wins and gets the title. Now, if you don't want boss man to be a long-term champion, that's fine. There are ways in which you can get the title off of him. I thought boss man deserved his WrestleMania moment here. And when I was watching this match, I thought boss man's better than I remember him being in the ring. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Is bumping his butt off. Okay. There's the cheating, the hijinks and the shenanigans. Oh, there's Andre. Seeing Andre walk out was one of the saddest things yes. I have seen because he's hunched over. Yeah. He's billed seven feet plus, and I go six five, and I think I would have been nose to nose with him. It's
1: well, boss nose to nose with him at one point after the match. I noticed it. Where where him and him and Andre are on are eye to eye and he should be Nine inches, eight, nine inches tall than boss man.
2: It's, it's jarring. And you see him walk out, and the crowd pops because it's Andre. He still had this aura. But you knew he was not well, and you had to think, okay, this is probably the last time we're going to see him. They did see him at SummerSlam, saw him at WCW, but it was it was sad. I loved the way he clocked Perfect with the belt. Just so nonchalantly, the way a giant would do something ridiculous and make it seem so easy. Just like, boop, and then Perfect does the ridiculous sell backwards. I thought that was great. I thought it was a fun match. I thought Bossman should have gone over clean, and they should have found another way to get the title off of Bossman so that Perfect could drop it to Brett. But Perfect was also going through some stuff with his back at the time. Yeah, he had a lot
0: of injuries, too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I get it. I understand why they did it that way, but you look at the storyline, the logical conclusion was boss man going over and he wasn't a tremendous worker, but he's better than people. Remember good trivia question. He was Hogan's opponent on the very first episode of Monday Nitro. That was the fact that that was how good he was. He could work with pretty much anybody. He could sell very well for a guy his size. I thought he deserved at least a little bit of a rain there and, seeing him again not necessarily get that it, it hit me the wrong way good match yeah. lousy finish
1: you know it's a good point andrew because a week later didn't wasn't a week after this that old wrestle fest thing yep that, they could have they could have they, they put the belt on bossman for a week and they could have had perfect go over at the wrestle fest if you wanted to so yeah, that, exactly that, that's a good point that's a good point
0: this um this led into Bobby the Brain coming back, and then we got uh, Donald Trump in the crowd. There he is, uh, Mean Gene interviewing Donald Trump, and uh, and then he, he interviewed. <laughs> 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 Just so so funny, and uh, Trump, Chuck Norris, Henry Winkler, and Lou Ferrigno in the crowd. So uh, what a group! Quite a they would make a fun Survivor Series team. Uh, <laughs> that group of five. Um, Henry
2: Winkler's sweater steals the show there. <laughs> He has this Mr. Rogers sweater and he just looks like this old square dude in the crowd. You're wondering where his kids are. And it turns out he's there and he gives this cheesy thing about the ultimate warrior getting his ultimate win and doing the thumbs up. It was just so ridiculously unintentionally funny. And Trump, by the way. Gave a whole bunch of one word answers You got the feeling that something was going on there And he just was not thrilled to be there in the slightest Which is strange because he and Vince were pals To yeah. the point where Vince's wife was on his cabinet for a little while
0: Something may be happening with uh, with Marla backstage Who knows because they would be married I think soon a- soon after this um, We get to Earthquake with Jimmy Hart versus Greg Valentine um, This is basically just a squash you know, Valentine got a, a good amount of Offense in here, but uh, They they end up Jimmy Hart distraction, Earthquake takes advantage And he gets the win So, this was There wasn't much more of Earthquake as a singles Competitor, I think, after this he, right. he It wasn't too long before he was in the Natural Disasters
1: Yeah, because they, they fought uh, Bushwhackers at SummerSlam, which was yep. You know, five months later So, yeah, I mean, well, you know, Tugboat was gone They brought him back as Typhoon uh, and it worked. I mean, they were a fun tag team. Um, I was never, I mean, I was never just a big earthquake guy. I just, no. you know, it just didn't do anything for me, you know. It, all right, big dude. He would walk around and like flex his biceps and it was just fat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy, the guy was 26 years old. He looked like he was 45. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah right. I mean, I, I mean, look, I don't want to be mean, but just like one of the ugliest people you've ever seen. <laughs>
0: the I mean, warthog, isn't that what Piper called him? The yeah. Lord, the warthog.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's not. I, I don't want to demean the guy or take anything away from him, but like when he would feud with Hogan, when he feuded with Hogan, I was like, who wants to watch this? Like, come on. Like Hogan needs somebody to help him in a match, and you're putting him in with an Earthquake. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. Um, the natural disaster stuff was fine. I mean, the two big behemoths, but yeah, this match for me. It was just there. And to be honest with you, you know, couldn't be over soon enough.
2: I'm going to go the complete opposite direction in a lot of ways here, because John Tenta, the guy that played Earthquake, was a fascinating case study. Before he was in the WWF as Earthquake, he was a sumo wrestler in Japan, and he was in the process of going up the ranks to becoming one of Japan's better sumo wrestlers when he left. He was actually never beaten in a sumo match. If you look on Wikipedia, source of all knowledge, he was 21-0 in matches in which he competed. He no-showed one tournament to get to 21-0 and seven. Tenta was a legitimate athlete. He played college football, goes to the WWF, becomes Earthquake. And I actually liked this match. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Here you have Earthquake. A guy that should not be able to move at all. You have Greg the Hammer Valentine, who Gorilla Monsoon delights in saying takes about 20 minutes to get Every time, But he's
0: never been in a 20-minute match, right? That we see, like, this era, which
2: is hilarious, you know? It's a great running (laughs) joke. And Valentine is a babyface here. He had never played babyface in his life for any reason. They turned him babyface here. And I actually thought this was a pretty entertaining four-minute match because earthquake didn't go off his feet but he did the dazed and confused arms wobbling and going all over like a weeble weeble wobble but they don't fall down i thought that was pretty entertaining earthquake goes down valentine tries to get him in the figure four except earthquake's legs are Are too big big.
0: yeah that was a good spot though that was a good spot i agree
2: up valentine gets killed Earthquake gets the win Jimmy Hart looks awful in his outfit But it's his sixth outfit of the evening So who cares <laughs> I actually liked this match more than I remembered And I thought this was by no means The worst match on the card There were a couple of other squashes Two of which we haven't even gotten to yet Yeah, that's That true. were so much <laughs> worse than this match I thought Earthquake and Valentine Actually worked pretty hard Yeah, I, mean, I could
1: see it The only thing I remember is you know, after, after he delivers the, the finisher He's literally, he's literally standing there panting.
0: <laughs> he's just blown up, yeah.
1: Blown up to the point where his mouth is open and he's like panting for air, uh, which is, you know, but I mean, he's a huge guy. I get it. But yeah, I mean, look, it, you, you, we can have differing views of, of wrestlers. He just wasn't the style of wrestler that I was ever going to be into.
2: Oh, completely agree. He was by no means a technician who would wrestle five-star classics, for what he was, I thought he was totally fine
0: We get to uh, Sean Mooney Talking to the Legion of Doom I loved this one from uh, from Hawk Power and glory Power and glory When we get done with you, you'll be Sour and gory And, uh, and the real uh, uh, Backstory to this was that uh, power and Glory cost the Legion of Doom a chance to face the Heart Foundation for the tag team titles. We'll actually see the Legion of Doom face the Nasty Boys at, in a street fight at uh, at SummerSlam later this year. This match did not go a minute. It was a quick squash. Get the the uh, basically get the LOD on the card, get him a big pop, get him a quick win, build them up as the power team that they were. We got the huge LOD pop to at the beginning. And, um, I mean, it wasn't much more than let them come out Let the crowd see them And let, them, let everybody know that they're going to be Kind of on the way to the tag title soon
1: Yeah, not, not Paul Roma's best tag team uh, no. him, him and Jim Powers were actually a fun tag team with as, When they were the Young Stallions Yeah, they weren't bad Yeah, in the, in the late 80s But, yeah, I mean, this is obviously just, uh, you know in, A real, like, grand stage WrestleMania introduction to Legion of Doom, and they're going to be the tag team. Um, and I mean, LOD, such a such a wild like story behind, you know, the Road Warriors and where they came from, and you know, Georgia Championship, AWA to Japan and WCW. Then they come to WWE, and and you think they're going to like have this long run. It lasts for like two years. Hawk flips out, goes AWOL. After SummerSlam 92, nobody knows Where he is, Like he doesn't get On the charter plane to come home uh, He ends up in Japan Animal leaves WWE to go Wrestle with Hawk again in Japan Then they bring him back again They disappear again, they show up at WCW They bring him back again uh, I did like the LOD 2000 when they Showed up with Sonny, specifically because Of the Yeah, they,
0: they had some good stuff with the New Age Outlaws. Yeah, yeah. Um. So they,
1: Sonny, when Sonny walked out with that outfit, I remember, I I think I was, I was like 17 years old. I was (laughs) was with my friends downstairs. There was like five or six of us and everything just stopped. (laughs) I was like, holy, you know what? Look at Sonny. Like, oh my God, you know? So that was cool. But yeah, I mean, they were, look, one of the, one of the greatest tag teams that wrestling will ever know. They get their squash, obviously paving the road for, you know, their, their subsequent coronation. At uh, at SummerSlam Nothing really to say about the match It didn't last long enough to talk about But uh, LOD obviously one of my all-time favorites
2: Darren you stole my thunder completely Because I was going to talk about LOD 2000 Coming out with (laughs) Sonny For that tag team battle royal And everybody was already in the ring And it was all these nondescript tag teams And you knew they were building to something You just didn't know what And then the second the music hits, you're reminded, oh, that's why they call it a road warrior pop. And that was the reaction that I also got here, because that's the thing that jumped out at me the most about this match. It was the Warriors come out, oh, what a rush, whatever. And the crowd goes bonkers. If a tag team had a better look for professional wrestling, I don't know who it was other than Animal and Hawk. Big guys, face paint mohawks looked like they would kill you and dump you off the side of the road uh it's they probably would a lot of weird stuff i wouldn't have put it past them but it was uh it, it, the lod were uh were a case of being star-crossed in a lot of ways and one of my favorite matches with them is actually one of the few times they locked up with the steiner brothers in oh. wcw the steiners debuted on nitro they rode out on the motorcycles, and they had a really good 15 to 20-minute tag match where the Road Warriors won by cheating with the Spike. And that's a legitimate four-star match. It's on one of the best of Nitro DVD sets, if you can find it there. It's a really cool thing, and it was a hell of a deal. And, but that's the story with the Road Warriors from 1990 onward. When they showed up, it was a really big deal, but they didn't show up a whole heck of a lot.
1: No, they didn't. And, but, uh, you know, you talk about the Road Warrior pop. SummerSlam 91 when 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 they get I don't remember if it was knobs or Sags. I think it was I think it was knobs uh when when they get him up for the finisher the place is I was there the place is unglued everybody is standing waiting for this coronation and and when he hits him with that the, I mean and and they hit like it's one of the first times I remember the hard count from the crowd when you hear like the Whoa. two three yeah. like You know, and the place goes nuts. And then watching it back, uh, you know, afterward, whenever I had the opportunity, when it came out on tape, and you hear, like, you know, the commentators where, you know, Bobby Heenan goes as the crowd's just building with, like, you know, I don't know, roar or whatever you want to call it. We got new champions, you know, before he hits the three count. Just a huge, massive, one of the biggest pops you'll ever hear uh, on a great pay-per-view. But, and that way, I mean, look it didn't matter where you put them you were getting that pop they were that good
0: the next feud um we get right into the build for the DBossy Virgil feud I and mean, maybe we talk about long term builds this build was right. happening for years with yep. uh, always seeing DBossy you know treating Virgil like garbage and uh, <laughs> making him rub in his feet and all. you know we get some really great videos of DBossy just like laying into Virgil you know i loved this feud when i was young um, it really wasn't a feud about their matches They have this match, they have the match at SummerSlam For the uh, the million dollar title You could tell at this point Virgil couldn't really do a whole lot in the ring And they did a pretty good job in this match To hide that It was just a lot of punch, kicks Using Piper with the crutches as much as possible Piper was like a big part of this match DiBiase was a uh, you know get involved with Piper outside the ring A couple different times They don't even really let Virgil get completely over yet He wins via count out And then uh, post match there's a pretty Intense beat down More intense than I remember when they were going at Piper's leg um, He had been recovering from a motorcycle accident So he was on crutches And um, this was all about the story Because Piper helped Virgil um, Stand up for himself And helped Virgil you know Leave the uh, the million dollar man, and then at the end of the match, Virgil's kind of telling Piper to stand up and, and get him up. So this is another one that wasn't as much about the match as it was kind of the overall storyline continuing forward. Because you could tell they were con- this storyline was still in the middle. It was it was going on for a while all the way till till SummerSlam. I think it was like the end of 91, early 92 When Virgil was kind of on his own for a little while And he kind of became like a jobber to the the stars And the new the new wrestlers that were coming in
1: Yeah, I, I remember this pretty much the way you did And when I watched it, it was the same thing Virgil, get the offense that he gets in is like punches and kicks And yep. all of the wrestling comes from DiBiase You get mm-hmm. like a power slam You get gut wrench, suplex You get a regular suplex To Virgil's credit, he he, he does bump well You know, he does take Mm -hmm. good and and everything like that. But all of his offense is more like boxer, kickboxer than it is wrestler, Uh, because that's kind of what he was. Um, And even and even the match at SummerSlam, most of the offense is DiBiase. And that's the way it has to be, because he's the wrestler of the two. And that's how I remembered the match and watching it back. That's how I you know, that's how it played out. DiBiase carries the match, does well. The story's good. Piper out there with the crutch you know DiBiase keeps knocking him down, punching him, you know, kicking him whatever and and the whole, you know, Virgil build up at the end telling Piper to stand up. Yeah, I mean it was it was good for the story. The match was fine. Uh, I enjoyed their SummerSlam match more than this one because, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, when you had Piper on commentary and you know, he, he keeps giving Virgil the suplexes and he walks over and you hear him say I got another one for you Piper and Piper yells up, "It ain't for me. Come on, Virgil." <laughs> you know, like, like, that, I thought that match was better. But, I mean, the story was cool. The matches were fine.
2: The thing that I that jumped out at me with this is I almost completely forgot Piper was a thing in this match. I knew yes. he had gotten hurt. I knew that there was a motorcycle accident. But they used that as part of the finish where he actually uses his crutch to pull down the top rope. DiBiase goes flying over, winds up getting counted out. I thought that was a pretty cool spot. But what jumped out at me about this match was... WrestleMania now is when all the storylines end. We're not used to seeing matches like this that further a storyline. You're right. It's a good point. It's supposed to be WWE's season finale, so to speak. It's jarring to see that given what the event has become. And it's understandable why they did that. They needed to get Virgil a little bit more seasoning. He wasn't ready yet. And there was, you know, was he ever going to be ready? I don't know. But. This wasn't the time or place for that to end They did a nice job working Piper in He did a good job keeping the crowd involved People wanted to root for Virgil Because DiBiase was such a scumbag It it was fine for what it was
0: And yeah, Sensational Sherry comes out at the end To save DiBiase and then they're um, together for a while And I mean, she literally just left uh, The side of the Macho Man uh, like an hour earlier so um right into right gets right into it with with D. B. Aussie. um yeah it, it was fine just kind of further the storyline as we got into an, a real quick squash up next um Sean Mooney interviewed Sergeant Slaughter uh, and General Adnan before and I just like I like now looking back I like Slaughter and I like everything that he you know he did and and everything he you know he was for but at this time this was almost like go away heat for me you know, like it wasn't like the the heel, like the Undertaker or like an Andre or even like a Bundy, the heel that that Hogan had faced. Like I just, he didn't do it. Like I, I whenever he was on, I almost wanted to turn the TV off a lot of the time. His voice was bad. He was spitting all over like crazy. Um, and he, in this promo it was actually kind of funny. He actually talks about how he's gonna try to get himself DQ'd or counted well- out. And you see it happen throughout the match. That was kind of a story of the match, and that was it really terrible officiating, or were the referees just kind of letting everything go because they wanted Hogan to win? Um, yeah, it was a little promo here as we get to the uh, the Mountie with Jimmy Hart versus Tito Santana. The Mountie yeah. who was uh, Jacques Rougeau, so he was in as the Rougeau brothers, and and he would later uh, be in uh, what the Quebecers, uh, I believe. Um, he this was a. This match lasted one minute and twenty seconds. We had some early offense from Tito, uh, and then, be like before the match even starts, Heenan says, "I'm surprised he's here. It's only 150 miles from the border." You know, so you get the the Mexico quip in right away, and um, and he uses the cattle prod. Uh, t- they cheat. Uh, the Mountie uses the cattle prod to beat Tito Santana. And then when he gets him in the belly with it at the end, he okay. then says, It was just because Tito ate the Mexican food. It wasn't from the cattle prod. So this match wasn't even a minute and 30 seconds. And we got two, you know, Tito's from Mexico quips. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, you know, Tito lost at WrestleMania 100 years in a row. He did. Uh, he did. Yeah, but we like what we talked about, and, and I wanted to bring it up and I, and I forgot earlier, but you give me a, a good chance here. When we started the show, we talked about they really pushed the envelope with some of the things that they do and say in this WrestleMania. The Tito Mexican stuff was one of those things. The other obvious one is the Sergeant Slaughter, Iraq sympathizer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we are right in the middle of the Gulf War. Uh, and I and I remember that there were stories that he would get death threats. Oh, yeah. He he was getting real
0: heat. Yeah. Like, yeah. people real. hated yeah. this guy. Like, yeah. not like a cool heel thing. Yeah. And then the other thing that I didn't
1: realize until, again, watching it this time. This WrestleMania was three weeks after the Rodney King uh, tragedy in yeah. Los Angeles. And multiple times, between perfect and... Uh, Bobby Heenan they make reference to we have LAPD out here real police officers who know how to handle their business if you know what I'm talking about yeah. and Perfect says to Bossman in this promo you're not going to get me down in the middle of the ring to slash me 56 times so they are blatantly exploiting the Rodney King you know issue which led to riots, and you know,
0: I mean, we know the story, but they really pushed the envelope with that. With the yeah. with the the Gulf War stuff, we even I even mentioned the, the a couple of the different comments there. You know, T- uh, Heenan there, the Nasty Boys made a comment too. That was like a definitely like R rated comment. So yeah, th- yeah, you're right, Darren. You you can pick out like five or six things that w- they were really pushing things a little bit here. And um, I mean, this wasn't much more than than just a squash. And I will say. It did lead, like, the Mountie was a short-lived character in WWE, but I loved that Big Boss Man jail cell match. That was a a whole lot of fun. You want
2: the finger? Here's the finger!
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was so so cool, because in between the matches and stuff, they would put that up on the video board. Mm -hmm. And seeing it in person, it was so funny to watch, you know, like like him getting into the jail cell. They throw him in with that guy who, you know, obviously looks at him, Suggestively and says what he says, and the Mountie flips out. It was the place was dying every time they put that video up.
2: Going back to this match, Jacques Rougeau and Tito Santana deserve better.
0: Yeah. yeah that's a good point out there. Yeah.
2: This was essentially a get these two guys A payday match And you I
0: mean, know and at this point they were probably like Weird on the timing and stuff You know at this point of the show it's one of those things where Maybe this match this was supposed to get Four minutes instead you get one Like literally one
2: Yeah and I, I mean Looking back and obviously it might have been a timing Thing who knows but you couldn't have made Earthquake Valentine and Mountie Santana A tag team match you know, instead of one four-minute match and one one-minute match, you do a six-minute tag match where everybody gets a couple of moments, earthquake splashes somebody, and we all go home. Like, that would have been so much more preferable than what we got. Because agree. Jacques Rougeau, when he wanted to be, could really work and fire up a crowd. Tito Santana was one of the most dependable workers on the WWE roster for, as Darren mentioned, about 100 years. Yep. I mean... Both of them deserve better than what they got here, which was the last match before the main event, which featured Alex Trebek as the guest ring announcer.
0: Then we get to the uh the heavyweight title match. It is you know, before that, we get the Mean, mean Gene Hulk Hogan interview. Hulk's got the USA colors, and uh, and it's very patriotic, and they're building up the the the, the lead up to you know what what. Happened over the last few weeks with with uh, Sergeant Slaughter and, and Adnan Beating down Hogan And um, we get the intros For some of the, uh, the guest stars Here and It's time for the world heavyweight ma- title match Sergeant Slaughter with General Adnan Versus Hulk Hogan People hated Slaughter And that Hulk Hogan pop is just Deafening and it is a roar And it is like a sustained roar You know it, there's a slow start To this match the guys work hard I, I it's it's just like a there match to me i'm not completely against it and by no means do i think it's a good match at all there's just some bad spots in the match that i like watching back i completely forgot you know slow start um it's what you would expect from a hogan if you knew that it was hogan versus slaughter it's probably close to like one of the better versions that you could expect from these two um i think they both needed like a better dance partner partner to lead the way at this point and you know, there's one point where Slaughter puts in the the uh, the boskin crab, and he's like literally on top of the ropes. Yeah. And even Regis Philbin is like, "Why isn't he grabbing the ropes?" And Hogan's just—he could like elbow the ropes. I mean, he's literally right next to him. It, it was weird. There's a couple different spots where you know they're they're hitting with a chair right in front of the referee. Then there was another weird spot where. General Adnan is like distracting the referee, while Sergeant Slaughter's trying to pin it uh, Hogan, which is just yeah. like ass backwards, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. This match ended up going 20, like 20 plus minutes. Um you get the Hogan at the uh, you know at the end uh, the, the battle back. He's bleeding like crazy in this match uh, at the very end. So that's kind of a cool picture like Hogan in the camel clutch with the face blood bleeding down and um y- you know, it was it was fine. You get the really loud Hogan chance at the again again at the end. He's busted up, gushing blood. I, I, I did take notice that I thought this was one of Hogan's better leg drops he's ever given. It looked like he was super bouncy on that leg drop, like he got some really good air. Um, nonetheless, it's 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 fine. I think when you compare it, what what hurts it is that when you compare this match to WrestleMania three versus Andre WrestleMania. Five versus Macho and WrestleMania Six versus Warrior It's not as good as any of them
1: No, no, it's not I mean, for me, it was even I was not a Hogan guy And obviously everybody hates Slaughter So for me, this was like, ugh, you know But yeah, I mean, there's even a couple more spots There's a spot where Slaughter gets slingshot into the ring post And unfortunately, the camera is right on the base of the ring post Looking up Slaughter's head misses this ring post. It's not even close. It's not even (laughs) close. And you get the up close shot of him just missing this and like trying to sell this thing going backwards. It's terrible. Then when you get the chair shot to Hogan, the blade job. Oh my god! Like you wonder why he's bleeding as he's rolling over. He does it so fast. He freaking gouged his forehead out. He's like, just
0: gushing, yeah. Oh
1: my god! The I mean, it's just so obvious too. As he's going down, he just reaches across his forehead and slices like it was like New Jack against Mass Transit, like with the. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and, and he's gushing blood because he dug himself a hell of a wound. I mean, and the match there's just not much wrestling. It's a lot of kicks and stomps and punches. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess that's what you're going to get out of these two guys. But I didn't enjoy the match at all. I didn't enjoy watching it back for the reasons we all talked about. It's unfortunate uh, because this, I'll be honest with you, out of the first eight WrestleManias, I won't get into WrestleMania 9, but uh, out of the first WrestleMania 8, this is by far my least favorite main event, and it's not even close.
0: Yeah, I, I agree on that.
2: Okay, first of all, because New Jack scares the living daylights out of me. I'm not even going to address your comment, there. <laughs> uh, New Jack can go talk to you. He's not going to go talk to me. All right. I, I watched Dark Side of the Ring. Uh uh-uh, uh. I'm not touching that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I actually like this match a little bit more than Darren did. And well, I, don't like, I don't like it at all. So, <laughs> well, by no means is it a classic, but I think some of it is pleasant surprise because. Sergeant Slaughter, in the years leading up to this, was in the AWA in its dying days. And if you ever want an exercise in masochism, watch AWA episodes from (laughs) 88, 89, 90. Oh my goodness. You get Sergeant Slaughter there. His promos are fine. But the second the bell rings, he is just completely checked out. He's overweight. He's out of shape. He's coasting on the Cobra Clutch, and it's not a good sight to see. You you could sort of tell that there was a desperation move to get the belt back onto Hogan. Because Warrior just wasn't moving ticket sales as much as he as much as Vince thought he could have or should have. So
1: he booked them terribly as the champion. It's well, true.
0: Yeah,
2: Warrior had no heels. Rick Rude, much as we love him, wasn't necessarily a main event heel at the time. Much as we like DiBiase, the bloom was sort of off that rose at that point. That's another conversation, but it's a case where they needed to get the belt on somebody to get from Warrior back to Hogan. They found Slaughter. Vince had the idea of doing the Iraqi Sympathizer gimmick it worked Fine for warrior he got to go with savage And have that great match but Everything about the slaughter stuff Just seemed so forced And I think people were looking at This main event judging by what we're Seeing and reading Sort of indifferently and you can tell That based on the rumors of they didn't Move it from the Coliseum because of Security they moved it because tickets Weren't selling yeah so You look at that match and you're expecting A complete and total clunker I didn't think it was a clunker I thought the guys actually worked Reasonably hard with what they were given Slaughter was obviously very Limited his prime was several years past Hogan is Hogan
0: It just was too long for me right Andrew Like if this this match was Instead of 20 if this was like 12 And they were able to do Like a lot of this stuff without like some of the really slow parts of the match Th- That's the part where I think They could have cleaned this up a little bit um, I
2: Yeah, I agree with you on that And 12 minutes is the sweet spot for me too I liked the storyline with them working Hogan's back I mm-hmm. thought that was actually okay Slaughter came off the top rope Which you don't expect a guy like Slaughter to do He did the stomp to the back They did the Boston Crab Which was a horrible location for sure Although that did bring in General Adnan from the outside, ramming Hogan's Head into the canvas, which I thought was a pretty cool Little touch, but the other thing that I Remember, Hogan makes the Comeback, big boot, big leg, good Night, crowd goes crazy Bobby Heenan goes, he did it For the United States of yeah, America He did, yeah, you're supposed to Hate Hulk Hogan with every Fiber of your being What the heck are you doing That was and one I, of the few, you're right, yeah And, and I understand the idea of pitching patriotism in a war. I understand that. But Heenan was going after Hogan really hard the entire match. Regis Philbin actually brought up, well, if Hogan's the champion, that means your guys aren't getting title shots, whatever. He was trying to get Heenan worked up. And then Heenan out of nowhere goes, he did it for the United States of America. That's one of the few lines Bobby Heenan ever uttered that was just a complete and total dud. The match itself... Yeah, it was probably too long But there have been many worse Mania main events there And I gotta take exception Hogan Bundy was a total clunker I didn't mind that one as much I I've met King Kong Bundy Before he passed He was a wonderful man The picture on my Venmo is of him choking An 11 or 12 year old Andrew (laughs) At an independent show that match was lousy. I thought this was better. I thought Slaughter tried after a couple of years of some horrible matches. I thought this was a decent atonement for him. Hogan, when he wanted to, could go. Yes, the blade job wasn't great, but they, there wasn't a lot of matches with Blood at that time. And that's no, that, something it was, else that I, I yeah.
0: think that's what they were going for was the, you know, because things were so intense and the whole, you know, the feud with them. And it just, it did feel a little shoehorned. Um, but you make a good point. there just weren't really at this point, you know, you had uh, you know, macho kind of had a, his main event run and he was kind of sh- like high t- high mid card and and obviously he's gonna be gone for a little while. Andre's gone now. DiBiase had his little couple year run. um, we just don't really have a ton of. Like they never really gave perfect like a main event run as a heel. There just wasn't anyone there. They kind of had to create them until, you know, Ric Flair comes around a year later. Um and and this was the best that they could do, which was was at least Slaughter had some cachet, um, you know, and a name, which would have been a little bit better than maybe throwing someone from the undercard that you just, you know, building him up and giving them the title. So this was a, a for sure polarizing WrestleMania. And, uh, you know, from the You know, the Gulf War stuff To, you know, when you just look back Lots of big moments in, you know Undert- Undertaker debuting The Warrior and, uh, and Savage stuff the, uh, the stuff with Elizabeth afterwards We'll remember the, bri- the blindfold match A little bit, so, you know, all in all It's not the best Wrestlemania I don't think it's the worst Wrestlemania I think that the second half of the show Started to drag a little bit, but the first half Like, up until and including the Savage Warrior stuff, there was some good stuff, and there were a couple hidden gems in there.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I'm sorry. Yeah, Really quick, before Darren goes, uh, you had mentioned the stuff about heels, and take Ric Flair out of the equation, and you've got to go until 96, 97. I'm not Honestly, I'm not a big Yoko guy. Yeah, no. You never
0: did it with me. And And, And that's fine. I can understand that, yeah. Yeah.
2: But you'll look at WrestleMania 11, you have Bam Bam Bigelow main eventing against Lawrence Taylor, main event of WrestleMania 12, Bret and Shawn in the Iron Man match. There just weren't a lot of top flight heels with the WWF in the early to mid 90s that you really felt comfortable putting out there in that capacity. You had Taker, who was a heel for some of his run, but he was sort of in the mid card squashing people on their way down, building himself up because the next year at WrestleMania 8, he got Jake Roberts right as Roberts was going out the door. So it's a weird situation, and it's something that, looking back, you really wonder just how WWE survived to the point where they were able to catch fire again in the late 90s. Because if the money's in the chase, as the theory goes, there weren't a lot of heels there after Ric Flair left. And even when Flair was there, yeah, he had the Rumble win and he had the match against Savage at WrestleMania, it never seemed truly organic with him. And that's an issue that we saw with WrestleMania 7. And it's an issue that we played the company for a while until they found a formula that worked in the mid to late 90s, starting with DX and going from there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's entirely true. You know, one other thing I forgot I wanted to mention at the end of the Hogan match. Um, <laughs> everyone's about patriotism, right? Uh, one of the cool spots was when, uh, I thought probably the coolest spot of the match was when Slaughter spits on Hogan and yeah. then he the Iraqi flag over him there's actually a couple of guys sitting behind Donald Trump that are dying like laughing <laughs> after the match is over Hogan's posing somebody throws him an American flag he proceeds to crumble the flag up and clean the blood off his face with the American flag just and insane throw- Back into the crowd. So bizarre. Like, you're talking about, like, patriotism, USA. The guy was given a, the guy probably thought he would hold, you know, because he had the other flag on the pole, that he would hold the flag up or whatever. He, He cleans the blood off his face with the flag and crumbles it up and throws it back into the crowd. When I watched that back, I was like, oh, my God. Sorry, brother. Can't see, brother. Can't see, brother. You imagine if in social media and the news today, if that happened today in the middle of a wrestling ring at WrestleMania. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. People would go nuts. But, yeah, look, um, to Andrew's point, great point about the heels. Uh, I totally agree. They just weren't a lot of them out there. Um, you know Yoko was the big heel that they chose. We all know what Yoko was. They did the Brett Owen thing. Owen made
0: for a good heel and the matches by the way, were phenomenal um, agreed.
1: but it just couldn't be you, you couldn't he, just,
0: he wasn't like your one number one company heel though, you know what I mean it, it, it I hurt, to stretch that out for you know I mean, yeah it, it hurt because a lot of the guys that were at heels and even like you know Shawn Michaels moving forward, they were undersized. Yeah, so and, a lot, it's hard to have an undersized you know dominant heel. But think about, like, you know, I mean, Sean at, at WrestleMania,
1: you know, when when he went to face Brett, he was, be- he was, became a face. A face a, at a, that point, trainer, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all the, you know, the years up to that, he was a heel. So even as they started to like, even their heel characters were no longer really heels. I mean, look at Austin. <laughs> I mean, all these guys, because they were so good, organically became baby faces. And it's a really good point. I mean, how they made it through all those years and maybe. It's a part of the reason why they had their struggles, in that they have these terrible characters, and they had no big time heels.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, this has been a lot of fun again. Um, We just crossed the two hour mark (laughs) on recapping this show, and we I think. back and do it again or yeah I think I was gonna say I think one of these shows uh, Will eventually get a recap That's longer than the actual pay-per-view in itself when we're, when The we're longer we it. go The
2: more unlikely it <laughs> yeah. is I, mean, By I, the way, I think I oh, could go six hours on last Year's Wrestlemania I'm sorry oh. I can't Do it I don't have that <laughs>
1: before, before we go since we're, we're Going into Wrestlemania weekend And we have Smackdown tomorrow night let me just ask Your opinion real quick uh, What is the unique way that they Get Roman out of the match tomorrow night what what is this quote unquote unique, ca- you know, unique creative idea that they're doing that's going to have Roman pulled creatively from the match?
0: Hornswoggle.
1: <laughs> um,
0: I, I think what they do is because um, I'm assuming this is who they. I think it has to do with the, the the person who is going to be in the match. I think they can do something where they bring in. I'm assuming it's Braun Strowman because I'm still not finished with you. Are they really going to do that? Um, and I, I'm I'm assuming yeah something like that where hey this This was supposed to be my, you know, I think they could say this was supposed to be a bri match. Braun does something to to you know to write Roman off TV for a little while and then Roman can come back and beat Braun. And you can have Braun kind of take it from Goldberg. He can be a little bit of a placeholder for a month, two months, however long that be. Roman can get his win uh, against him at SummerSlam. They can do that. You get Braun a little bit of a run with the title, finally. I think that's probably the best way to do it. um. Mm-hmm.
1: If they do that, I'll be disappointed because they've been using this word unique, and there would be absolutely nothing unique
0: about No, you're you're right, you're right. <laughs> I, I just that seems like a WWE type of way to, to fill it in, you know.
2: Okay, I've got I got three things that they could potentially do, and they all involve the letter H. You have Hornswoggle, <laughs> you have Hogan reprising WrestleMania nine with Roman Reigns and the role of Bret Hart, and you have Triple H doing something ridiculous.
0: Yeah it could be He has the built in Goldberg feud too from years back
2: None of those seem remotely far-fetched to me And I would just laugh so hard If somehow Hogan was involved Because (laughs) you know this was supposed to be His weekend going into the Hall of Fame Again with the NWO I really think at some point We're going to see him do something Because he lives right in Florida he's got to have something going on here. And I got to tell you, if Hogan somehow winds up involved with whatever angle they've got going on, I really should start placing bets on this stuff.
0: You'll get the, yeah, you'll get the praise. You'll get the credit. That would be hilarious. They have the old... Goldberg uh, Hogan feud from uh, Nitro and Darren. I think you mentioned it last week when we were jo- when we were talking that they never had their real big pay per view. Uh, that everybody got mad that they had that match on Nitro. They could they could even have that joking, uh, you know, in in the build. But I I hope I, I hope they at least do something to build it up. I hope they don't even pretend as of Friday Night SmackDown that we're gonna see a Roman Reigns versus Goldberg match at WrestleMania. I want them to at because. We've known about this now for a few days. They waited all week long, so I'm assuming and hoping that they have something that they already did for SmackDown, and they're not just going to wait till after SmackDown and say, or or day of, and say, "Oh, you know, something happened. Roman Reigns isn't going to do it." Give us at least a day to know that it's not going to be Roman and what this match might be.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. You don't want it to be like one of those stupid things, like, "Oh, what happened? Where's Roman Reigns? His music hit. He's not like I mean, that would be terrible if they yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, I I, I would my, my wife is already at her wits end with with. Each other <laughs> audience. I swear to God, if Hogan walks through the curtain, she's gonna lose her mind.
2: Yeah, like, tape yeah. it, tape it. If that happens, I, I want to see that. If yeah. that happens, and I, I will, will also be taping myself. If for some reason Goldberg's standing in the ring waiting for a mystery opponent, and you hear dun 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 dun, and Hogan doing the thing with the ear with nobody in attendance, you're
1: gonna come out with a walker or like a couple of crutches or maybe, maybe maybe flair will wheel them out
0: oh that would work <laughs> that, that would, would be absolutely great. work yeah that would be funny that would be funny well guys this was a blast i have we've had a lot of fun i think the people uh, enjoy listening to these because it kind of lets them escape for uh, an hour or two and remember you know years back when they watched wrestling and, and kind of in the what was the golden age um i think from you know 85 to maybe like the early 90s Really uh, of wrestling and then we got it Again in the late 90s with the Attitude Era Thank you so much fellas and I look Forward to uh, hopefully bringing you guys back Again next week we can maybe talk about a little Bit of what happened in Wrestlemania and then uh, Maybe we'll have uh, uh, Mania 10 uh, one of those uh, Middle ones 10 11 12 13 one of those We'll, we'll put up on uh, and see what the people vote For
1: whatever you want to do buddy uh, If the people want to hear it I'm here for Whatever you <laughs> do uh, a lot of fun and look, I mean, we got to pass the time somehow, and there's certainly worse ways to do it than than talking wrestling with friends.
2: Completely agree, and as Darren enjoys saying, where the hell else am I going to be? I mean, this is, uh, the shelter in place order got extended through the month of April. So I am at your disposal at any reasonable hour for any reasonable length of time, just as long as the WrestleMania doesn't last for three weeks, which I got to tell you, at some point in the next 10 years, we're going to wind up with like a 14 night WrestleMania with 120 matches.
0: WrestleMania month—it's the April WrestleMania, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fellas. Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne. Uh, give us your uh, your plugs one more time, Darren. Where can we find you on social media? And then Andrew, you uh, you after? Sure,
1: uh, Twitter at uh, at the Track Seven. Um, give out some horse plays. We had a couple of winners over the weekend. And by the way, give out a thirty dollar winner today at Goldstream. First hey, Goldstream,
0: I saw that. Nicely Not done.
1: Not bad. Nice four <laughs> there too for a thousand bucks. So. Yeah, every once in a while, we throw up some videos there uh, if we like something that we see. And obviously, this weekend will be a lot about uh, what's going on in WWE. And whenever sports come back, we talk about that, too. So give me a follow. Uh, Hopefully, we'll give you some good information and uh, some fun insights as well.
2: Man, I'm surprised we went two hours without you taking a victory lap. That's a good score. Man. Yeah, that was well, great. I've become more humble in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> did, did the Iron Sheik come over, break your back, and make you humble? <laughs> it wasn't the Iron Sheik. It, it, it was my wife. It was Colonel Mustafa is really who it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And you better hope and pray your wife's not listening to this. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Tomorrow, yeah. It's not
1: going to go well. I promise you that. <laughs>
2: Once again, take video. Anyway, uh, for me, Twitter is at Andrew Champagne. With all the stuff that's been going on with horse racing, I've actually started taking a look at races from Australia. My friend J.D. Fox and I just started up a YouTube series where we go once a week. We're actually going to be breaking down some of the races from uh, Royal Randwick, I believe, uh, coming up on Friday night. It's a great late pick four sequence. You can actually play those. For as little as 20 cents so if you're a degenerate gambler you're up late on a friday night take a look at that stuff it's actually pretty good racing really good card and good payoffs because the fields are so big you can play them for as little as 20 cents i'll have a 21 dollar ticket i'll be giving out a lot of fun and in fact we're actually going to be recording that in about nine minutes so my nice. voice has gotten a nice little warm-up <laughs> ahead of that video at any rate though thank you for having me this has been great and i really can't wait to see what the fans vote for next
0: Awesome stuff guys, well you have a good weekend I'm sure we'll be texting back and forth uh, During Wrestlemania with uh with some of our thoughts On the matches, make sure to give these guys a follow On social media, Darren Zocali And Andrew Champagne We will take a quick break here on That's What G Said And we will be back with much more Don't go anywhere Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast Sarah Candle Company Visit Candles.com, C-E-R-A-Candles.com Use the promo code G-I-N-O For 10% off of your entire purchase These are all natural soy wax candle they, Candles they burn longer They are better for you Than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax I know the people From this company personally I've grown up with them my whole life They love candles And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle That everyone can Enjoy Use that promo code G-I-N-O My favorite is Fresh Roses The Fresh Roses scent is awesome If you're a horse racing fan They got Del Mar in there You ever want to know what Del Mar smells like But you couldn't make it out there Order your candle right now From Sarah Candle Company The website C-E-R-A candlescom dot Sarah Promo code G-I-N-O For 10% off your purchase Let's get into some Friday racing Let's start with Gulfstream Park For Friday, April the 3rd Um, We'll go to race number 1 And I'm going to begin with the 8 in here Let's not get too excited This filly has some speed Low percentage win connections But she has 3 or 4 races That are good enough to beat this group And she's not going to get bet Because of these low percentage win connections In her last start, she broke out She settled too deep, she was Near the back, she was six seven off. She ran into some traffic. Then she moved in between. She angled around. She took a big shot at the one to two favorite and the eventual winner. It was a really really solid effort. So I'm gonna have the eight horse in here. We'll make a win wager uh, on the eight. Let's not get too excited there in race number one at Gulfstream Park on Friday. In race number two, I like the eight here again. One more time, traveling gambler who's gonna drop a notch. Who's gonna exit a live race? Who's gonna take the slight cut back in here? That's the eight. Traveling Gambler going to be the top Selection there if you're playing some of the early Exotics in race number two At Gulfstream Park no real Strong opinion in the third uh, we Move on to race number four And uh, I'm going to go with the 12 in here plan Of attack last Time out he was pushed five wide Into the turn he ended Up last he was 10 off he moved in Between horses he ran into traffic Three different times he Ran really really well and He's already had to deal with a wide draw before He was in post 11 last time out So he's had to work out a trip From an outside draw I think Plan of Attack makes a lot of sense in here Uh, Voices in the Darkness would be another horse I use underneath But uh, let's give Plan of Attack top billing in here The number 12 in race number 4 In race number 5 Couple horses to uh, to look at in here, but we will put the the seven Power Walker on top. I think High Noon Rider is worth the look. Make sure to inu- uh, to include in some of your exotics. Power Walker has some speed, can sit, can close, can pass horses. His overall turf form is really really good. Give a look to Power Walker in here. We're gonna make him our top selection. We'll put a win wager on the number seven Power Walker. That's in race number five. In race number six, couple horses to include. Um, Orifice with the blinkers on is going to be tough Candy Machine is going to be really tough Who was behind the nice All I- Fight Dempsey Who's going to be entered on Saturday uh, He got up the challenge But he couldn't get to the leader and the eventual winner All Fight Dempsey, but he won the battle for second Fried Rice King had a slow start He was bumped around, he settled off um, he, he was He was pretty good He just missed third in his debut But I like Ellis Island in here You know, he he really got going late. He was traveling his best late. Now he has some extra distance to work with. And he just seemed like a distance horse when I was watching him, like a horse who will enjoy this stretch out, that race under his belt now. Let's make the number 5, Ellis Island, our top selection in race number 6. We'll make a win wager on this one, and we'll kind of key in some of the late exotics. And then let's move to race number 9. And I'm going to go with the five in here, Lasca. Lasca's is going to put two starts together, and Laska's is going to drop in class a notch after coming out of some pretty live and pretty productive races. I love when you see a horse like this who raced in October, then sent to the bench for a few months, raced in December, sent to the bench for a few months, raced in February, sent to the bench for a few months. Just the extra two weeks. Um, could give this horse a little This filly a little more sharpness not having to be Off again for a couple more full months So I think she could be just a little sharper Here maybe a little closer for that Late kick the number five Laska will make our top selection In race number nine there at Gulfstream Park and that's Gulfstream Park On Friday as uh, We get set to head to Oaklawn Park Just a couple plays for Oakland on Friday Unfortunately we we're going to have a couple plays for Gol- uh, Golden Gate also but they canceled on Thursday and Friday, so uh, all the handicapping for the Thursday Friday cards just out the window there at Golden Gate, uh, Oakland. Uh, our first play at Oakland is going to be in race number one, and that's going to be the number six in here. Post close, post close, who he made his first start in you know two and a half months on February the twenty sixth, and. I think you can just put a line right through it. It was on the grass and it was against tougher. He's going to go second off, he's going to drop, he's going to get back to the dirt and he has legitimate excuses for some of his recent poor performances. His Louisiana Downs race last year on July the 29th, July the 23rd, that race wins this. He's very capable of beating this group. I think post close at a nice price of 12 to 1 is worth including in all of your early exotics and let's make a win wager. On that one uh, in race number 1 to kick things off If we can get anything over like 6 to 1 I think he feels like he's just too high Let's go with post close to kick things off In race number 3 What's wrong with the 8? Swing and Sam Okay these are made in 30s now Swing and Sam has been facing maiden specials his entire career He was at Remington And then he had a, a layoff from December of 2018 To February of 2020 So no matter what Whenever he returns from, from that layoff he's going to need at least a race or two to get back into his best fitness level so you know he raced against maiden special weights his first start back it's a race that's in the slop and it's already come back a productive race his February 28th race going six furlongs you know it, it wasn't awful and it's a race that's already come back a productive race Now he's going to go third start off the very long layoff. He's going to drop in class. He's going to stretch out. He will be a lot closer early. He's going to be able to show a little more of that speed going long in here. I like swinging Sam, who has the opportunity to sit close in a race that, you know, I don't know how much speed it is, how much speed it has in here. You'd imagine that fudge tough is going to be forwardly placed. But once you get past that one, you know, you kind of start looking up and down and, There is not a ton of speed So if Swinging Sam breaks well And is able to clear or sit right behind I think he has a huge, huge shot Let's put the number 8 Swinging Sam on top And we'll make a win wager on that one And then let's go to race number 8 So just 3 plays on the Friday card At Oakland Park for me In race number 8 I'm going to go to the 3 CZ Rocket We'll make a win wager on this one If we can get anything around 7-2 to He's going to be a first time gelding For Al Stahl and he comes out of some really productive races If you'll notice He's faced some really sharp horses and, and horses who have come out of their last few races To continue to run really, really well He was bumped at the start a little bit He settled inside, but he was in tight He was, uh, you know, st- Backed up right into, he was shuffled back a few lengths. He was just buried inside with absolutely nowhere to go. And then he tried to duck down to the inside, and he got up into contention. He was within a, like a length and a half, two lengths at the like farthest. And then he flattened down a little bit late because I think he was, you know, in some trouble, in some trouble, and his his best run had dulled. So give him a big shot in here, and maybe a key around some of your late exotics, or maybe if you're just looking for a horse to win, uh, to put a win wager on in race number eight. The number three, C. Z Rocket So at Oaklawn Park Three horses for you On Friday First race The number six Post close And third race The number eight Swinging Sam And the eighth race The number three CZ Rocket Those are your Friday races From Gulfstream And from Oaklawn Best of luck On Friday One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on.
3: Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%, so if you are been on the fence about thinking about buying a home,
0: And you're all over the internet, social media, websites, let us know some of the places where we can find you I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow, everyone always has positive things to say Everybody hears me raving about you all the time, but where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact?
3: Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarrava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400.
0: Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast.
3: Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Let's start Saturday's racing, April the 4th, uh, with Oaklawn. Let's head on over to Oaklawn to start Saturday. And we will get to... In race number one, um, eights and aces, I, I thought would would be probably pretty tough in here. A horse to include in some of the exotics. Not one that I, I'm absolutely in love with though. Uh, in race number two, let's go to the, the six bigs. He's going to go third, start off the layoff. He, adds the, uh, he takes the blinkers off. This is where he fits. He has some speed. Blinks come off so he can relax a little bit. He was your beaten favorite last time out in a race that was in the mud. Now he's going to stretch out and I think he's going to take them as far as he can go. Um, Third off the bench, he hadn't raced from October of 2018 to February of 2020, so he needed his last couple starts to get a little fitness. He dropped from the State Bread Maiden Special weights to the State Bread Maiden 20s, and he showed a little bit more speed, but I think it's easy... It's easy for us to excuse that effort because it was in the slop, right? We can definitely make it a legit excuse for it. So let's put the the six bigs on top and we'll make a win wager on bigs in race number two. In race number four at Oaklawn Park. That's gonna be our, our next play. And we will look to the number two. Lucky Betty. Just tossed a slop. The debut race was good. Hooks the slop in career start number two But what you get out of that is at least you get some Fitness out of the race, so now you're able to use That as your second sprint before you stretch Out to a route I think she's going to sit a little closer in here The number two, Lucky Betty In race number four Let's go to race number Five And in race number five, I like the Three, Prince Pearson here You're going to get back to the dirt, you're going to go Third off This was a horse who hadn't raced from August of 2019 to January of of 2020, came back for a new barn, and was a winner at Fairgrounds in a race that was taken off the turf on the grass last time out a fine third This is a really versatile horse, he has a little bit of speed, but he's shown the ability to come from off the pace in his last few, probably shows a little more speed here going six furlongs Let's go with the number three, Prince Pierce as our top selection in race number five, and we move on to Race number 6 You know this is more of not a horse that I'll probably be playing uh, to win But maybe a horse that you can key if you're playing like a late pick 5 Or if you're playing some late exotics And that is the number 9, exultation, Who was a good second last time out And he just doesn't have to be so far back uh, I, I think he has the opportunity to sit much closer if need be So the the number 9, exultation. Let's use as a kind of a key to anchor some late exotics there. And if he is close to that, like three to one or so, then then sure we'll we'll bet him to win. Race number seven, the number six Dolce Ride. He's going to go second. Start off the long layoff. She just needed her last start. She turns back to six furlongs today. And I think she'll be able to have a little bit of tactical speed But she'll have a ton more late punch today Making the second start off a really long layoff If you'll notice, a lot of these horses that we've used at Oaklawn It looked like they really needed their race The last time we saw them Like they got their prep race out of the way And I feel like a lot of these are going to take a step forward And be much, much sharper today That's that's the case with the number 6 Dolce Ride in race number 7 In race number 8, this is a strong... Little allowance race, uh, optional claimer Here, you have Answer in, who was the favorite In the southwest, and He loomed up, and he was, he was Good in that race, and he faded, he finished third But if you'll notice, like, Silver Prospector Got a great trip that day, and then Wells Bayou Has come back out of that race and run really, really Well, so, answer In, I think, is the one to beat in here Finnick the Fierce is another one who I'd give a shot Down on the inside, I just feel like he He has some ability, and, um you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't shock against this group. So Answer in and Finnick the Fierce would be the two that I would include in race number eight. In race number nine. You know, in the late exotics I would go six, eight, four, nine. I feel like let's Lexi on the move with her running style, she should benefit the most in this race. You know, you have um, you know Kimari's pretty damn versatile from the from the inside but you have ring leader flat out speed edgeway uh booty tama um, who are i'm expecting all to be flashing some speed frank's rockette is not going to be too far out of it kiss the girl isn't exactly slow and then wasabi girl so you have a ton of speed in here I want the horses who might be able to sit just off and maybe you know be able to just Track from a few lengths behind, and that's the case with Lexi on the move. I think she's going to be able to sit a little bit really nicely in here when a, a lot of these other horses kind of get get a little um, they get a little flustered sometimes when they don't get the lead. If you're used to getting the lead, if you're kind of a one-dimensional speed type, so let's use the six. Lexi on the move. Uh, I respect Frank's Rocket. I am um, Kiss the Girl is one who I think could out could end up working out a really nice trip. I love her versatility. She has some tactical speed, but she's not as quick as the others in here, so that may end up being a blessing in disguise. She might end up working out a really, really nice trip in here, and that's Kiss the Girl. And then the 4, Edgeway, with with that kind of speed, you just never know. I mean, she might be just a freak and be able to run them all off their feet, even though it does look like there's a lot of speed on paper. And then, uh, we'll close things out with the number 4, Aztec Empire. I'll have slightly on top, adding the blinkers, third off, the long layoff, just um, Not really needing to take much more of a step forward To get the better of this group The 5, Wild Union Obviously a very logical one The 8, I think Mo and Go Second off the bench should improve a little bit And then Tiz the Journey The first time gelding uh, on the outside So nothing too crazy or outside the box In race number 10 Just a recap of the Saturday Oaklawn plays For April the 4th Second race, the number 6, Biggs Fourth race, the number 2, Lucky Betty Fifth race, the number 3, Prince Pierce 6th uh, race, the number 9, Exaltation 7th race, the number 6, Dolce Ride 8th race, the number 5, Answer In Infinic the Fierce uh, ninth race, the number 6, Lexi On The Move And 10th, the number 4, Aztec Empire uh, Let's talk a little Gulfstream Park for Saturday So we're talking April the 4th I have some plays uh, in the second half of the card So nothing early in the uh, the Gulfstream um races my first play or the first uh, races that i'm kind of interested in are in race six and on let's get to race number six so i'm gonna go to the eight here cozy dreams cozy dreams was a bit slow but made a nice move into contention chasing the pace setter and the eventual winner that day she proved that this is where she fits Aramia now jumps on for the new connections She was your beaten favorite last time out I think if she gets around 7-2 to two, That's worthy of a win wager in this field um, There are no monsters in here The six pass at times A little interesting She broke well She took back a couple lengths off on the inside She got shuffled back to 7th of 8 And then she kept to the inside She moved into 2nd late It was a fine effort um, I would use her in some exotics also But uh, I like the 8 in here Cozy Dreams will make this one a top selection And uh, we'll we'll use with the 6 in some spots Race number 8 You know in the 7th race A couple horses, nobody that I I really love But maybe include the 5 in some spots Who uh, gets back to the green And the 7, I'm the captain now If you're playing uh, some rolling exotics In race number 8 I'm going to go to the number 7 Hot Taddy Who should have plenty of pace in here For her late rally most recently she was 7th She was tucked inside She was 6-7 lengths off She had an ultra course and angle around late And uh, now she's back in with Florida Reds I think this is a good spot for her In here Let's go with the 7 Hot Toddy on top We'll use along with the uh, the 3 inside horses The 1, 2, and the 3 All look like we can use the, them uh, you know, In some of the exotics in, in race number 8 and race number 9 We're going to use the Six horse on top, Silverly enough Who should be really tough on the cutback And has shown the ability to come from off the pace A little bit, but has enough Speed to get himself into a good position The five will likely Be on the lead I have him in the third spot uh, Behind the six and the eight Maserati, man, who has some kind of low figures But, you know, you watch his races And he, f- he seems like he fits in this level He's drawn pretty well To kind of sit just off the pace if he has to I'm going to go six, eight, five In race number 9 at Gulfstream Park with the 6 Silverly Enough on top Let's go to race number 10 And This will be a mile on the turf course I'll start with the 4, Dr. Shane Who completely missed the break And just had no shot off of that start Last time out And he moved well in between horses late It really wasn't a bad effort after that brutal start Now he's going to go 3rd start off the bench don't expect him to be so far out of it this time. He really doesn't have to be. He's got a lot more tactical speed than that. The one colonist, I I liked this horse a lot when he was in Southern California. He hasn't raced since November of 2018. He's gonna go as a first-time gelding. He's coming into the Todd Pletcher barn. He's got a little bit of a back class, you know. He's faced some good horses, and, and he was in some tough spots. He's got some ability. I wouldn't be shocked to see him run well. I'm going to use him in some exotics. Um, The three first premio should uh, get a really nice trip from off the pace. He's going to be making his first start since October, but he should have every chance to come running in here in a race that seems to have a good amount of speed. The seven ice T shouldn't be too far out of it. Probably one of those early speeds, but he loves to win. He can sit just off. The hope is that you know for his chances, he can't get too caught up in in that early pace battle or what looks what projects to be that at least on paper a uh, horse like the 11 is uh, another one to include in some of your exotics Halliday who is you know going to be uh, in a little tough with the draw but hasn't has the versatility to either go maybe can take back a little uh, can take back if he has to so in the 10th race where the number 4 Dr. Shane with the 1 3 7 and 11 as other horses to include underneath in race number 11 I'm gonna to go to the seven, master day. Last time out, he's in the Fountain of Youth. You could put a line through that race. And look who he's faced in his three losses. You know, at Say Indian and uh, New York Traffic. Let's go to that January race when he was he was behind traffic and he was bumped around, and had some traffic early. Uh, he was you know wanting to go, but he was tucked in right behind the leader and the eventual winner. And he he just. He couldn't make up any ground um, in the stretch after the the slow pace being set, and you know that was going a mile and a sixteenth. He, he went a mile and a sixteenth again after that in the Fountain of Youth. I like this turn back to seven. What's wrong with Master Day? Let's make a win wager on him if we get anything around five to one or so. I'm gonna have the seven on top of the three. I'll fight Dempsey, who he could be any kind. He was really impressive in his debut. But he has speed in a race that seems to have a good amount of other speed. So he's going to really have to, to show that he can either sit off or he can deal with some other speed in here. The 4, Son- uh, Sonnenmann, he has continued to improve. And uh, you know he should be fine coming off the pace. He just hasn't raced since October. That's kind of why I prefer some of the uh, or others with a little more recency over him. And then the, the 1, Tomcat Black. I don't really love the rail but I do like his running style. Um, I like the fact that he's, he's turning back from a couple of races going a little bit longer. And he has the kind of style where he doesn't have to be way out of it. He could just be in a little bit of trouble getting shuffled back from the inside. So seven four three one 3 one in race number 11 with the number 7, Master Day, as the top selection. And not a whole lot to talk about in race number 12 as far as I'm concerned. I thought the 8 was going to be tough, uh, Avenida Mignogna. And uh, maybe if you want to go a little deeper Or if you're looking for prices I would have the 10 Amazing Audrey The 11 Night Watch And the 4 Sweet Story underneath That is Gulfstream for Saturday And I uh, hope you all have a, a good Saturday In your wagers